Hi, this is Bryant with a couple of quick notes before we start the podcast. Uh, first thing, our guest, Zach Hyden, a.k.a. the Matt Rednick, uh, he had to leave around the one hour, 20 minute mark. And uh, that's mostly all our fault, uh, I guess mostly my fault, for not keeping us on track and on schedule and planning ahead and stuff. We uh, we got a little off topic uh, chatting and took up a lot of our uh, scheduled recording time. So, so. Apologies to Zach, and uh, we'll try to have him on sometime in the future. Also, if you're listening to the show for the first time, uh, I'll put a timestamp in the description that has uh, the time when we stop talking about our project cars. So if you want to skip that and go to the main topic, uh, that'll be in the show notes. Uh, One last thing, uh, if anyone in the Denver area is selling uh, alloy wheels with a 4x100 bolt pattern, uh, please let me know, carsandcomrades at gmail.com. Uh, especially if you have a set from the 03 to 05 Saturn Ion, because uh, I think those look cool. So that's it. On to the episode. All profit is value extraction, and that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they you've got to get them off welfare. I should have asked if anyone else wanted to intro us. It's you. This is a okay. good intro right here. <laughs> it stays in. <laughs> Whatever. Um, hi, welcome to Cars and Comrades, our socialist car podcast, or uh, I should say multi-tendency leftist podcast. You know, we're, we don't discriminate. My name is Bryant. We've got the full crew here, Connor, Brandon, Zach, and we also have uh, Zach from... The AFC back again, the Automotive Free Clinic. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about sort of the uh, the basic maintenance that you should be doing on your car. So I think this was Connor's idea. Um, you just wanted to have sort of a resource for people that maybe are a little bit into cars or just getting into cars or maybe don't know anything about cars but are into leftist politics because... That's the circles we we run in. I mean, and, yeah. Uh, part of it is look. I, I think I'm pretty sure this was originally Brandon's idea. Mo, mo, I think he pushed for it the most. But okay. Um, I mean, truly, every you know, we live in a unfortunately like a country that is highly dependent on cars. So even people who don't like cars uh, are stuck relying on them. And it seems like okay. Well, there's things you should know uh, involved with that, so that you can keep yourself out of. I mean, financial ruin, because if you fuck this up, that's what that's what waits for you. So, uh, <laughs> I, I can't I remember specifically that I was hearing a, a leftist talk about how they had to spend like X, like, you know, probably less than two hundred dollars, but spend a chunk of money because they clipped a curb in their car and destroyed their rim. And I'm like and, and when they said what car it was, I'm like, you could find hundreds of those in a junkyard for like ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was when it clicked that like the stuff that we take for granted is really useful for some people. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for working class people and people who, you know, have a budget like most of us and most of our listeners, I'm sure do. And even if you aren't really going to do any intense repairs, it doesn't hurt to go to a mechanic educated. 
because there are there are unethical mechanics that are the most common question i get is not like my friends having me fix their cars because i'm really not good with newer stuff but a couple of times even in just the last week i've had people send me invoices and say does this look right to you so yeah we're we're gonna teach you to know when it looks right and when it don't yeah absolutely and uh, we we brought uh, Redneck Zach on uh, because that's what he does for a living, uh, running the Automotive Free Clinic, helping working class people, and because he's a certified mechanic, and none of us are, we're all kind of self taught. So we we thought we'd you know get some uh, professional opinions on all this stuff too, instead of a bunch of shade tree mechanics like we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes shade trees no better tricks than. Uh, um certified mechanics you know oh yeah we found every single way to do it wrong yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah more on that later i've i've found a few things, ways to do things wrong recently i i uh, in one of my early vans where the engine is very much in the center i had somebody swear to me that the easiest way was to uh hook the bumper up to a tree on a hoist disconnect the engine and pull the uh van up off of the engine <laughs> And I'm like, you know, I have a hoist, right? And they were like, oh, yeah, that'll be easier then. <laughs> <laughs> they were just assuming that you didn't have a hoist because they're like, oh, who has a hoist? What kind of fancy pants are you having a hoist? <laughs> I, I think they came up in an era much before Harbor Freight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So oh, um, I had a dream about Harbor Freight the other night. It was awesome. They were selling tools for like six dollars. <laughs> it was such a good dream. Did you have a dream, or did you just go to Harbor Freight? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was like even like I I remember specifically buying a corded sawzall, which I don't know why I would buy. I have a sawzall already, but it was literally six dollars, and I was like, well, why not? It's six dollars. I might as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you just went during like their Fourth of July sale. Though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. My my mind is just dreaming about the Harbor Freight 4th of July sale. Bought some AC gauges from Harbor Freight last week because I broke my other ones. It was $85, $89 with the $13.99 um, warranty, two-year warranty. Hell yeah. I mean, you, you cannot beat that. No. I've been using those same gauges, I'm sure, because I bought mine from Harbor Freight for years now, and they've held up. So yeah, I'm not going to stop saying it. Their their quality has improved over the years. It has, it has, yep. And now they've got like the Icon line of tools, which is like actually quality, like a little more expensive. But like they they've got the Icon, which is high quality, but a a good bit more expensive. And then they've got mid tier stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I can't remember what the mid tier is called, but yeah, they've got some nice middle of the road. Which I mean, Icon's cheap still, so. Now that they're doing that, I say go. If you're a hobbyist or you just got to fix something real quick, buy the mid tier. It's not just going to break the second you put it to something, and it's not going to cost you very much. Yeah. And for the listener, we're not actually sponsored by Harbor Freight or anyone for that matter. So <laughs> every ten percent uh, of everything you spend to uh, uh, at Harbor Freight goes to Daddy G. So uh, I, I'm going to scan them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't get those uh, those G bucks either, <laughs> unfortunately. So we should <laughs> not even indirectly like, sponsored. Gosh, darn, I mean, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm like, God, there's got to be an opportunity for that. Might as well. I mean, we would take it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're shilling yeah. for it anyway. <laughs> Given a free advertisement, we might as well be getting paid for it. This right. is unpaid labor, really. 
So, uh, so we'll have that uh, sort of um, guide to basic maintenance in a little bit. Uh, we're going to do some project car updates here. But uh, first, I guess I'd, I thought I'd uh, apologize for the last few uh, episodes being late. Um, it Basically, I've been working on my stupid car rather than editing. So uh, that's why some of them were a week or two late. Um, which but, uh, what do you expect from a show like ours yeah <laughs> yeah you you we, if you're listening to this you've probably done the same shit just not with a podcast <laughs> yeah. yeah or maybe with a podcast i don't know and uh i guess i'll just plug this at the beginning um if uh if you want to be a guest on the show uh you know hit us up on our social media uh we're always looking for interesting people to talk to just I put that out there in the beginning rather than the end because I don't know how long people listen to these episodes if they turn them off after a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good point. We should probably put it in the end too, in case uh, you know they skip this first part because they don't want to hear our <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> right. So I forget what we did for. Uh, I, I always say this. I forget what order we did the last one in because um, it was like three weeks ago or that we actually recorded. Uh, who wants to go first as far as uh, project car updates? Uh, we can uh, we can just do it that way, I guess. I'll go first. I feel like we haven't done reverse order in a while, so okay. I was going to recommend torque bolt pattern again, but everyone hated that. Oh my god, that was so fucking complicated. If I don't have <laughs> bolts in front of me to look at and mark with a pen, I can't keep track. So Dude, redneck Zach is with us. We just put everyone in a star, and you go the regular torque pattern. <laughs> But how does how's the star dictated? Are we like what's the order? Alphabetical order. But then star pattern off of alphabetical order. Sure. Okay. Uh, as long but as we have to do reverse this out, we have just... to do reverse of that because I did it. I did the first one. So Zach, just go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I uh, have had some fun times with my uh, Subaru in the last couple weeks. First thing that happened was I was getting some really, really high coolant temperatures, like 234 degrees, Ooh, um, yeah. which is not a good. A little spicy, a little too spicy for my uh, taste. And uh, yeah, so I'm like, man, do I have like uh, air pocket in the coolant? Is like, is my radiator failing? Uh, this is the first summer I've had my front mount intercooler on. Maybe that's just blocking airflow so bad to the radiator that, like, you know, the, the temps are up. So I uh, I burp the coolant and I'm, you know, putting more coolant in there, making sure it's topped up and everything. Thinking, damn, if I have to replace a radiator, that's like 350 bucks for, like, a nice aftermarket one. Because obviously, like, you know, it seems like the OEM one isn't really cutting it, not doing the job anymore. I'm like looking around and, uh, you know, my dad's giving me a hand and he goes, Hey man, uh, is this second fan supposed to be on? I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're at like 210 degrees. Both fans should definitely be on. He's like, oh, it's not on. I'm like, oh, fuck. I got a bad fan. Like that's going to be another hundred bucks or so just for a new fan. So I get down underneath it and like, look at the fan, look at all the connections and everything. I'm like, wow, it looks, looks clean. Doesn't look cut or anything. I think the fan just died and, you know, I grabbed the connection and wiggle it a little bit and it came apart. Oh, <laughs> so I, I stuck it back together and it, it popped on and it's been fine ever since. So I just had a fucking fan not connected. I was stressing so much, though. Oh, I thought you said like the connector disintegrated. Oh, no, no, no. 
it literally just came like it just like unplugged. Like that's uh, okay. all it was. It was literally just not plugged in. <laughs> so yeah, that was a uh, very relieving. Uh, and then a couple days later, uh, there was a torrential downpour out here where I live. Rain was coming down like crazy. There was like standing water on the road, probably foot and a half, two feet deep. Uh, and I have an aftermarket intake on the car that puts the air filter nice and low, right down by the front tire. So I'm driving home from work and I go through a nice big puddle and suddenly remember where my air intake is and think, oh shit, that's not going to end well. And it didn't. My car died like that second. As soon as I had the thought, it just fucking died. I'm sitting there in the middle of the road. It's like pouring rain. There's cars flying up behind me. I got my flashers on. I keep starting it and it keeps dying. Finally, I got it to stay on for like a little bit. I limped it home and I literally could not see a thing behind me for all the white smoke billowing <laughs> oh, out of my exhaust. Oh, it, was so a, it was a smoke screen. Uh. It was, yeah, completely invisible behind me like just pouring pouring white smoke so normal so I, subaru stuff yeah yeah exactly okay. your standard subaru stuff so i limped it home and i'm like well shit i mean it's either dead or it's not so i just shut it off clear all the codes it had you know misfires on every single cylinder started it back up it blew some more white smoke, but it, it ran and idled. Okay. So I was like, well, we'll see in the morning. I'm going to try to take it back to work. It's either going to go or it's not. I started up in the morning, started up just fine. Drove it for a little bit. As soon as I got into boost, it blew out some white smoke. Oh, I should mention before this, while it was running, uh, after I got it running, it was knocking like the FBI on a leftist door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just God. beaten beating those rods inside the motor. I mean, it was bad and loud. So I, I was pretty convinced that I had bent a rod. Uh, yeah, but I, I started up the next day. As soon as I got into boost, it blew a little white smoke out. So I shifted up from first to second, got into boost again, no white smoke, and it's run perfectly fine ever since. It sucked down probably a gallon of water, had a little bit of a hiccup, and has just been fucking running like a champ ever since i checked the oil it's not milky it's not low it didn't you know burn off any oil nothing it's perfectly fine it probably uh blew all the carbon off of your pistons and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's probably running better than it did before honestly i think i cleaned it out a little bit yeah you washed the inside of the intercooler and everything too yeah per Perfect yeah. beginner episode, uh, you know, oh, yeah, if, if you need some maintenance, just get your car to suck up some water. That's a good thing. Great start. It'll clean the engine internally. This is I'm, not serious advice. I'm, I'm gonna I was going to say, I feel like we need to put a disclaimer here and yeah. be like, no, this is not real. We're kidding. We're kidding if you don't know. Yeah, Zach no is very this. fucking lucky here. God damn Extremely lucky. That <laughs> should gonna, be a dead motor. I'm going to tell an old old timer's trick that no one should ever try ever. Okay. Um, I have heard, not a lot, but a, a couple of times, two or three maybe, from old timers 
that if you have an engine that is like really like on its last legs, like if there is just an absolute ton of carbon buildup in it, it doesn't want to run right no matter what you do. It's on its last legs and your next step is to replace the motor. And I cannot emphasize enough that this is the thing that you do right before you replace the motor. I watched um, a guy get the engine. It was barely running and he would get the RPMs up. And he took a small cup of ice and just slammed it into the carburetor. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Interesting. I don't know if I'd do that. You can also do it with rice. That's where the really? uh, ta- uh, term ricer came from, is that when they were first creating tuner cars, they would put rice down in the carburetor. And it would like run like crap for a minute, but it would knock all the carbon off the valves in the piston. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I've heard I've. I've heard that it was like either a temperature shock or just the debris, but not like something soft enough like ice so that the, the heat's going to not let it like fuck anything up. But apparently it'll rip all the carbon right off of the fucking valves and heads and uh, pistons and everything. <laughs> that that okay. reminds me of that guy on, I think it was like an Audi forum years and years ago who was trolling everyone. And he's like, you know, I wanted to, to port the head of my engine and I figure I might as well, you know, save some time and do it like, while the engine is still running by Uh-oh. dumping a bunch of sand in the intake. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's not running right. I wonder what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Sandblast my head. <laughs> uh, again, for any potential first timers or beginners listening to this, do not do that. That is a bad idea. Yeah. Do not put sand, rice, or Water or ice into your intake under any circumstances. You can remember the little rhyme. No sand, no rice, no water, no ice. (laughs) Basically, just don't put anything in there. (laughs) Right, yeah. I've not even had the best luck with starter fluid. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Oh, I should have said earlier, also, if you you want to skip uh, all this stuff, you will have timestamps in the show notes. Um. Yeah, especially if you're not a regular listener, one of your, you know, silly friends who listens to this goofy podcast sent you this. Um, go ahead and skip this. If or continue listening, I don't know, up to you. But yeah, you know, <laughs> skip ahead if if you're if you're not interested. If you had to listen this far, just know that you got the the best car update first because it was mine. So <laughs> yeah, it's all downhill from here. Just kidding. From my perspective, I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Yeah, I don't think that's wrong per se. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a very uh, positive car update because I had two pretty serious seeming issues that turned out to be perfectly fine, which doesn't often happen. Yeah, my car update is going to involve me quitting my job, so. <laughs> <laughs> little different, little different. Exactly, like it's 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 apples and oranges. Yeah. So do we, uh, do we want to go on Brandon's order or what? <laughs> What do we want to do here? Well, my order is bananas, so let's not do it. Okay. So I think uh, that means it's uh, Redneck Zach's turn. Yeah, I've had starter issues on the Redneck convertible, my 85 Toyota 4Runner. And I have put three starters on it, and then I decided I should test the circuit, which is not the right uh, <laughs> sequence to that process. Yeah. <laughs> um, I knew that when you said three. Yeah, you should uh, test the circuit and then uh, replace the starter. But I tested the circuit. There's no voltage drops on any anything in the circuit. It's still a bad, still a bad starter. Um, so I 
got a starter on there that's decent that only won't turn over every now and then. Um, and I can get it to turn over if I jump it. Like if I, I use my jump box and I like slam like, you know, a thousand amps into it, it'll like, it'll like turn over and crank the engine so I can get from place to place. But what I ended up doing was I called this guy in uh, this local guy who rebuilt starters. And I said, Hey, I need my starter rebuilt. And he said, what's wrong with it? And I'm like, it won't start. And then I was like, yeah, I put three starters on it and I tested all of the wiring and uh, it's all good. I know it's a bad starter. And he said, no, you got something else wrong with it. I said, okay, you don't want my business. I'll send it. I'll take it someplace else. So I uh, shipped it to this place in Wisconsin who rebuilds the entire starter. So the problem with these starters, with these remanufactured starters, and it's old car problems, it's a 40-year-old vehicle, is they only, when they rebuild them, they just slap contacts in them and they don't rebuild the motors. So I got the, I'm getting the place in Wisconsin to rebuild the whole motor, slap new contacts in it, you know, whole whole thing worked over. So I'll have a like factory new starter coming back to me sometime this week. And hopefully this won't be an issue anymore because it's been an issue with the truck. I've already put probably five starters on the truck, just eating contacts. Jesus. And so hopefully this won't be an issue going forward and I'll be, I will have finally solved this problem. But yeah, uh, but word to the wise, always test the, um, the circuitry before you just slap a starter on something like yeah, that's yeah, sure. that's the right process to do it. And uh, I spent all day Saturday and Sunday trying to chase down some ghost wiring problem that wasn't there. And it was it's just old car problems, poorly rebuilt starters, bad parts, you know. And now I'm getting one totally rebuilt and uh, I should be good to go. So be back on the road next week. And always remember, nice. everyone, if your starter is acting up, hit it with a hammer. Yep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, point, hit it with a hammer. <laughs> that is legit a way to fix it. <laughs> yeah. It'll it fix it. Really which, which, We're not bullshitting you this time. <laughs> yeah, this is real advice. So uh, I guess, again, if you're... It will not fix the problem. It will get you home so that you can really fix the problem. Yes. Right. It, it will work. It usually takes two people, but uh, someone's trying to start the car. Someone else crawls underneath it and hits the starter with a hammer or a stick or anything heavy, really. So whatever you got. If you got a hard fist, that could work, too. (laughs) I don't know if I recommend that one. but I wouldn't wouldn't try it, but it it could work. Yeah. So you you just bang on the hammer or bang on the starter while someone's trying to start it. And basically what it's doing is it jostles loose the uh, brushes in the motor. And that's what's actually being affected by the magnet. So... You affect it just enough to come into the magnetic field and actually turn over. Um, at least that's my understanding. I don't know why it works. You, you smack it with a hammer and it starts. <laughs> you don't need the technical uh, scientific explanation. <laughs> you, you hit it hard and it works. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, so that may get you home um, once in a while. It has gotten me home. So Yeah. Yeah, I went next hack. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I, I once called uh, AAA when I was before before my uh, tenure as a car guy. Car wouldn't start. Called uh, AAA. I was with the girl I was seeing at the time, so you know it was just overall kind of a, a shitty, embarrassing experience. And the guy shows up, and before bothering to tow it, he's like, "Did you hit it with a hammer?" And I'm like, "I thought my friend that told me to do that was kidding." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he hit it with a hammer, and we drove home. 
<laughs> it yeah. is it is fucking real. Yeah, yeah, we all been. Hey, Redneck Zach, how much does that cost uh, having a starter fully rebuilt like that? Is it? He told me it's. It told me it was not very expensive, like 150, 200 bucks, which is oh, is okay. like it's more than the starter than a remanufactured starter cost. A remanufactured car, starter cost between for my truck between fifty and a hundred bucks. Yeah. So would so, you rather pay fifty dollars for something that doesn't work, or one hundred and fifty for something that does? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also the fact that I've now put on like, you know, five total of these at a hundred bucks. So I've got five hundred dollars in starters in the last five years since I've had the truck, and now maybe I spend two hundred bucks and not have to deal with this ever again. Yeah, that's a good deal right there. I'm yeah. surprised. I never knew that they I, when I when they did rebuild. I I assumed they rebuilt the actual motor as part they of. They do not the remanufacture. All they do is they slap contacts in. I took the I took the starter apart and looked at the motor, and the motor was all rusty, and it was huh. obviously not rebuilt. Mm. Boy, capitalist so, innovation for you. Yeah, there. I was about to say there's there's some cap <laughs> there's a point about capitalism in there where they're throwing in forty cents worth of contacts and maybe you know, a half an hour's worth of labor and then it's reselling it to you for 150 bucks half the time. So, uh, yay. For a, for a core that they paid, you know, $15 for. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's fucking, that's a racket right there. Jeez. I, I, I literally just assumed they had replaced the motor. If anything, I would have felt that they left the contacts in place. To be honest, I would have thought it was the other way around. Crazy. I, I think what you really need to replace it with is one of those starters on old tractors that you use a, like a shotgun shell and you hit oh, it with a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, those are sick. I saw somebody build a motorcycle with one of those starters. Yeah. On it. That's pretty badass. You ask me. I don't know if that's good for your engine though, shooting gunpowder into it, but it looks cool. Well, hey, if you get too much gunpowder in there, just suck up some water. Clean it up. <laughs> <laughs> Work for me. I, I've also seen that motorcycle, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, Brenda, exactly. Do you have anything else? or No, that's it. That's Okay. You know. Um, I think it's uh, Connor's turn then, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that would be me. Um, so I've been busy. Well, you know, as usual, fixing stuff, whatever, this and that. I'm pretty sure the last time we talked, I definitely mentioned that I had new coilovers. I can't remember if I said I put them in or not, but uh, I've got them in. I've been driving on them. And uh, they're great. I love them so far. I have to. I finally just went over a speed hump in the city for the first time, and I scraped a little bit. So it would be nice if I could raise it a little bit more. So I have, I've installed them, drove on them. Uh, I did then raise the car up a little bit. Uh, I didn't quite raise it up enough, I don't think. Um, but it's it's holding up pretty well, and for how low it is. I'm not really bottoming out on the street or anything. And I'm, I have the damping set way lower than I did on the last set. So, nice. um, yeah. So it like for the first time in a long time, I have a functional suspension on this car for the most part till I continue with my updates. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, in terms of, uh, actual ride quality, it's night and day. A hunt. It is a thousand times better. Um, and part of that was because I had the wrong spring rates in the rear and stuff and whatever. That's so that's all been solved. But right now, I am very happy with the uh, setup I've got. So, so that's a pretty big win. Uh, the quality on them seems pretty good, 
and I just have to raise the height a little bit more just to be a little bit more manageable day to day. But overall, it's holding up well. So like I could get away with not raising it up. It's just I'm getting older and (laughs) I don't like I don't like scraping on every speed hump. So yeah. So, so that's good. I've been happy with the coilovers and I did finally drift on them for the first time and felt good. Car felt real good. So obviously I still just need more seat time and practice, but the car felt really nice and got a lot more predictable as like I'm getting used to it. Um, the car, it just suspension wise feels good. Aside from some fresh new clunking in the front end that I don't know what it's for. So when I changed the coilovers, I changed the uh, control arm that actually holds up the the coilover on the passenger side because that had a bushing fail. Um, so that was my original clunking. And then I fixed that. And then now I have seemingly several new clunking noises up front. So. Mm. So I don't know uh, which bushings have failed or which arms need to be replaced, but um, it, it all kind of sucks. I don't want to replace really anything up front because, like, in all honesty, probably by next year, I'm going to try and put in, like, a full angle kit, which will replace those control arms and all that shit so that I can get more. So the wheels can turn a lot more than they can stock because um, that helps when you're drifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you know, I'm replacing a bunch of shit. That's like, that's going to get replaced when I do that anyway, but I'm just not quite ready to put that, um, do that upgrade yet. So I don't know. I got to crawl into the car and see what's clunking, but, uh, it's a little annoying, but still car felt really good drifting suspension wise. Um, I also have some, my, uh, last, uh, sway bar that I've been waiting for a couple months on finally arrived. So it's going to be time to put on some new, sway bars uh in the very near future as well so that's coming now for the problem (laughs) uh that i that i had while drifting um so i went to i went to an event you know a a far away event it's like four hour drive or something so i went up to a, a good event that i've been stoked on and it's not a huge problem but it's it's a problem i used to not have car was overheating uh a lot so the the trouble is when you're drifting, the car goes sideways. And so the air doesn't move through the radiator anymore because you're not driving straight. And the air just goes across the radiator and doesn't go through it, which causes some overheating issues. Um, I used to not have this issue because, I don't know, I used to not make as much power. And I, I think that's it. I... But since I've done the engine rebuild, I have a higher red line that I definitely make use of when I'm drifting. (laughs) Uh, Higher red line, a lot more power, and it's it was a hot day. I mean, it was like 90 degrees. And, you know, uh, so I was in a situation where I was blasting the heat while drifting. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I had all the windows open like and I'd be waiting in the grid and I'd have to open the door (laughs) because. which made a huge difference uh, in cooling me off. But yeah, so I'm like wearing a helmet and blasting the fucking heat. And and the car was still overheating every, you know, two or three laps. So like basically I would do a lap and then, you know, the car would start getting hot, whatever. After two or three laps, I would basically, I'd have to pull off to the side and I would have to do a cool down lap, Um, which means that someone would go 
to do their drifting run. And then I would just follow right behind them driving straight, but like kind of fast uh, to cool the car off because that puts the air right through the radiator. And like, I'm driving at like four and 5,000 RPMs. I'm not like taking it easy. I'm like trying to go fast. And even doing that, it's enough to cool the car. So that like, that is, that's how I knew like a hundred percent. I was like, yeah, it's literally just that there's air not going through the radiator. That's the problem. And enough people at drift events have this problem that they tell you, okay, well, you know, there's going to be people doing cool down laps. Here's, here's how you, you know, tell the person at the start line, you're doing a cool down lap. Um, I've never had to do those uh, until now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a new thing in my life is cool down laps. And, you know, I got a water sprayer to spray water on the radiator to help cool it faster. But, um, you know, just limited and uh, what can what can be done there. So um, I was, honestly, before in, in before we were recording and you were talking about it, it had never occurred to me that you would get such bad airflow because you're going yep. sideways. I, yep. I never thought of that. Yep. It's, it's a thing that like when you, you don't think about it, but like, again, and I'm telling you, I could push that engine and as long as I'm going straight, it's getting air through it and it's fine. It's, but, and I didn't think I was getting sideways enough for it to be, I was like, Oh, come on this. I'm not getting that sideways, but I was getting uh, sideways enough. That, um, there's just no airflow through it. So, you know, it's basically I'm at, you know, 6000 RPM plus. So up to like 7500 RPM for, you know, a solid minute. And, you know, they they extended the track for how long it is a little bit uh, too in the afternoon. It's so like I'm doing a longer lap and it's just like, yeah, that that adds up. So um, I've got a few tricks I'm going to try. I'm going to try adding a cooling plate, putting in some uh, water wetter. Uh, I may try some, um, there's a place where I can take the reflectors out of the bumper and I'll have some like vents there. So I can try taking those out and seeing if that helps, um, on its own. If it's not enough, I may have to like try and create some ducting to aim to like direct air right at the radiator. And I also got to look into the possibility of adding a fan on the front of the radiator. That's just hooked up to a manual switch or hooking my existing fans up to a manual switch um, that I can obviously just, if I can create a bypass and just like flip the switch and just run it the whole time I'm running, uh, maybe that'll solve the issue. But long story short, car is overheating when I'm drifting now, but it's, I mean, it's fine. It's not like that big a deal. Um, it's obviously manageable. It did suck driving with the heat on. <laughs> yeah. That was not. I'd imagine so. Yeah. How hot out was it that day? Uh, it was, it was like low nineties, which I feel like we haven't had too many hot. So it was like, it was the hottest day this year, I think, or close to it. I, I already knew I'm simply asking. So everyone can fully understand how much that must've sucked. Yeah. It's like, and it was just like, yeah, it's hot. And it was just, it was rough. So, um, so anyway, I'm doing, go ahead. Have you tried uh, dumping a gallon of water into the intake? (laughs) <laughs> I have not, but uh, that is the Zach method, and I will I will give that a try. I promise. Okay. Uh, yeah, please do on your freshly <laughs> rebuilt several thousand dollar motor. <laughs> Just dump um, a gallon of water into it. Yeah, no. So I I ended up like going to the gas station and like I found some like I don't know multi purpose cleaner or whatever that I dumped out in the sink and filled with water and I was spraying that on the radiator when I was in the pits to cool down. Like, and that shit was hot. It was like hot, hot. I was like, Holy fuck, man. 
But, you know, there was a lot of people struggling that uh, that day. It was hot. And so there was a lot of people also having to do cooldown laps and shit. So, like, I wasn't the only one. But, like, it's a problem that you get when you modify the car enough. And, you know, for anyone who's been maybe followed this build, like, and is wondering, well, why don't you upgrade your radiator? Uh, I already did. So <laughs> it's an upgraded radiator and fan setup that I upgraded when I had the engine rebuilt. And apparently... I mean, it, I could have the best radiator in the world. Uh, it wouldn't matter if there's no air going through it. So that's the it's kind of the problem with going sideways and having a lot of heat generating um, is there's no air flow there. So I have to uh, I got to try a few things. But other than that, uh, car felt good. Uh, I'm getting my skills back a little bit. And yeah, so it felt good. It was it was a fun time, re- regardless of being hot and stuff. Uh, I still had a lot of fun. So that's good. Yeah, I, I was meaning to ask you, um, how much of your issues with your BC racing coilovers do you think was due to the ridiculous spring rates, which I think if I'm remembering correctly, were 14 K front and back and yes, how much of it correct. was just, yeah. How much was it just that BCs are kind of shit? So, um, I would say what I felt 80% of that was because the spring rates were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, 80, like of what I felt 80% was the spring rates were wrong. So that's like, that's a big thing. Yeah. The, but the other problems that like the problems that actually led to me replacing the BC, cause like I have lived with fucked up ass spring rates for years, like yeah. six or seven years now. Okay. So that wasn't the impetus to, to replace them. What made me have to replace them was the fact that they seized up and I couldn't change them anymore. Like I couldn't change the ride height, even though the threads looked clean. I, they were totally seized and I took them out and tried to soak them in shit and that didn't do it. So it's like, okay, well I'm sick of scraping this bad. Like I had no ability to adjust the ride height. Uh, and that cracked spring in the front was bad. Yeah. Um, That'll do it. yeah, Yeah. So that was that was ready to let go at any time. So like that's really why I had to change it. So like in terms of the quality, you know, I've heard other people badmouth them and say they're bouncy, and I experienced mine were bouncy as fuck. Yeah. But how much of that was the high spring rates? I don't know. Like it sucks that like I had a high spring rate, but then I also had to have the damping cranked all the way to the like max firmness in mm-hmm. the rear because if I didn't do that, the car would somehow bottom out like on the road, not on like a speed bump. I mean, like you're going down the road and you hit a road buckle and the car, the fucking diff would smack the ground. Oof. Now I would think, and I could be wrong about this, but I would think higher spring rates should make that less likely to happen, not more likely to happen. So like to what degree, you know, I don't know, but like that was why I had to have it maxed out all the time. And that fucking sucked. So like these are, I think I've got them set at about halfway, right where they recommend it, right out of the box, and no problems whatsoever. Okay. So yeah. that I mean, there's a difference there. Um, so that's and I have, I, I've left them off for right now just because I'm still adjusting the heights and stuff. But uh, the stance ones, I also have like the bags to cover up the threads and springs to keep them from getting corroded from rust and stuff, which I did not have in the BCs. To be fair. Yeah. BC does sell that kind of stuff. I just didn't have it, um, but I did get them. They threw them in for free with the uh, stance in my case. So nice. So yeah, in, in terms of like the quality seems better. The setup in general seems better. 
Um, so that's kind of my take on it for right now. Okay. Yeah. So maybe, maybe steer clear BCs sounds like they definitely have some issues, at least in quality control. Cause if they send you coilovers with 14 K springs front and rear, that's not. Yeah. Someone should have questioned you know, that somewhere. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> should have been like, Are you sure about that? That's that seems yeah. wrong. So yeah, that, that was a fuck up for sure. Yeah. And yeah, like even like the, um, the lock collars, are a lot thicker on the stands. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not, you can like wear them down on the BC. You cannot on the stands. Like they're much thicker. Nice. So like, you know, in, it, the stance seems better. I, I like the stance right now and they've got me on a custom setup and like after drifting on them, they felt really good. So that much I can say. Cool. But well, then that's, that's yeah, I think that's all I got for updates uh, for right now. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'll I'll be looking into more suspension stuff and fixing this cooling issue stuff. But I'm also going to be uh, I'm going back to the track uh, to that, you know, fun track uh, in, I think, three weeks. So I'll be doing it again. And hopefully uh, hopefully my little uh, my quick fixes are enough to uh, keep me from overheating all day. Otherwise, whatever, I'll do cool down laps. So, yeah. That's all I got. Okay. Thanks. Good, good luck in the future with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, like I said before, I've, I've been busy working on my, both of my dumb cars. I don't know how much I've actually accomplished as far as resolving the issues, but, um, Hey, diagnostics yeah. is part of resolution. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, I, I've figured out a lot of things that aren't wrong, uh, with my Subaru. So I, I forget where I left it on the last episode, but I had uh, been, you know, replacing the suspension bushings on my MR2. And I did finish that on one corner um, and I got the the control arms uh, all painted up and so they're not rusty. You know, that that was actually a lot harder just to get the, the rust off than um, anything else, really. Uh, the The stock bushings, the rubber had like, fused with the rust to make this like really hard like fossilized material Mm. that needed a lot of grinding to get off got that and then my uh subaru was running rough and it's been progressively getting worse uh i thought you know it was like just the weather like maybe the humidity or the temperature was screwing with some electrical connection but uh that turned out to not be the case you know, I, I uh, followed Zach's advice and I did the grounding thing. And uh, I'm not sure if that really improved anything, but, you know, it didn't hurt. Uh, and it was cheap and, you know, pretty quick to do. And uh, basically that just means I connected all the ground wires um, with uh, all the grounding straps with a piece of wire to uh, make sure that they're all, you know, connected and everything is on the same ground because uh, Subarus have issues with grounding. Mm-hmm. So then I started replacing sensors and I spent several hundred dollars on sensors and no change uh, on any of them. The one thing that did make a little bit of difference was the um, fuel pressure regulator um, because it was I I got like a fuel like an inline fuel pressure gauge and it was reading a little bit low. Uh, So I replaced the the regulator and it improved the, the idle a little bit. But I was still getting like a lean condition and misfires if I uh, went anywhere over like 20% throttle. 
and you know it's really hard to drive to work if you can only use 20 percent throttle <laughs> so yeah. well, it really so, depends on how much power you're making yeah <laughs> not that much <laughs> i mean i was able to get up to highway speeds eventually but uh it took a while so are you, i sorry are you, sure, are you sure you don't have a vacuum leak I think I think that's what it is. Uh, you're, you're at least the second person that's told me that. So um, I, I parked the Subaru in the garage, and you know I had gotten the MR2 all put back together so I could drive that. I still need to you know finish doing the bushings and the brakes and get new tires for that. But it's it's at least drivable right now, um, and I can you know floor it and not have the engine die or anything. Let's go full throttle. So I was thinking since. Since I had the issue with the um, fuel pressure regulator, it might be something else with the fuel system. So I checked the fuel pump, and that's fine. I didn't replace it. I just you know looked at it and listened to it and everything. And I uh, changed the fuel filter, and I went and got the um, uh, the injectors cleaned and flow tested. And uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and plug the the guy that did that um, fuel injector specialists. Uh, in, uh, I think, Wheat Ridge or Arvada, Colorado. I think it's on Parfait near Kipling um, and the I-70 frontage road. I think he gave me a good deal because uh, he felt sorry for me, but he charged me $80, $80 to clean, flow test, and put new seals on four injectors, which wow. I think is a hell of that's a deal. Bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, what is a fuel and- injector? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess we'll get to that in the, uh, you know, <laughs> the main content, but uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I got, I just went and picked those up yesterday and um, he's a cool older guy. I think his name is uh, Chuck, I want to say. And then he, uh, he was like showing me all of his old GM cars and like Saturns and, and uh, Buicks and automobiles and stuff that he has, you know, parked in his yard and. Um, you know, what, what's wrong with all of them and how he's fixing them and stuff. And like, you know, you, you know me, I can talk about old cars from the eighties and nineties for a long time. Uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> so we sat around and talked, uh, for like an hour there and, uh, I got a sunburn, but, uh, <laughs> it was, it was pretty cool. Um, and, and he told me exactly, uh, what Zach, uh, Redneck Zach was saying, you know, it's probably, you probably got a vacuum leak. And what he was thinking is it's probably uh, a warped intake manifold or like uh, the gaskets failed on that. You, so, know how to check, you know how to check for it? Yeah, I, I rigged together a um, like a homebrew like smoke generator pump thing with like a jam jar and some hose and a bike pump. And I'm waiting on the sealant to cure on that. And I'm going to um, tonight I'm going to check going to pump some smoke into the intake manifold and see if it jets out somewhere you can you can also uh when it with it's running spray around the intake manifold with like carburetor cleaner yeah right cleaner and carbon and if it idles up you, or changes in any way you got a vacuum leak yeah and um i'll do that if i once i get the everything put back together um also or maybe i'll just take the intake manifold off and uh, you know, make sure it's flat and maybe, yeah. I and since I work in a a place with a surface plate, like a big granite flat plate, I I can use that to you know tape some uh, sandpaper to it and uh, uh, sand the um, 
intake manifold to make sure it's flat. I might also get like a phenolic spacer just to have like a little bit more flex in there just in case. Cause that's like, I don't know. I think I saw them for like 65 bucks or so. And that comes with two sets of gaskets also, but yeah, I'll, I'll figure that out and uh, hopefully get it back together. And then I ordered a, a timing kit uh, because uh, someone said, you know, make sure that it hasn't jumped timing. So uh, I went and looked, you know, took the cover off and looked at it and uh, there's cracks on the belt and uh, I don't think it's supposed to be like that. So uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and or, uh, replace the, uh, the timing belt next. Is it, uh, is it a four cam? Is it a four cam or a two cam? It's a four cam motor. Yeah. Yeah. That's not an easy job. Uh, it's not too bad on a Subaru. I don't think. Um, and it's my just... boss used to work on Subarus. And yeah. so he's got all the tools to like align it and everything. Oh, okay. Too. Okay. So he's going to lend me those tools. If for some reason he can't, I have those same tools as well. So let me. Okay, sweet. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Um, and then, uh, you know, hopefully when I get those, yeah, we'll, we'll see what, what, what fails when I get all those projects uh, wrapped up. Well, look on the bright side for everything that you do and it doesn't fix it. It's just a thing that you don't have to do in a, six months. I guess that's true. Yeah. That is actually yeah. a really good bright way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Brandon coming in with the positivity. What the hell? It's nothing like I am in real life. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh I don't know. I was like when you know, when I've been trying different things and it wasn't working, I'm like, I fucking hate this car. I just wanna push it outside of my garage and set it on fire and get some like a new hybrid or something like that. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm fucking tired of this Subaru bullshit. Oh yeah. I'm tired of Ford bullshit. So like <laughs> it, it, it comes from every angle, bud. Yeah. Well, let's hear about your Ford bullshit. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're there. So after, I actually like, I did, I, I, I looked back and it had been a solid six months since I had like a real problem with the Ford that wasn't just like a fleeting thing that I had to like tweak. But a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, you know, I, I fired it up to go to work, and it, it started a little harder than usual. But I mean, it's a old straight six with a single barrel carburetor. They don't. It's like uh, the, even two barrel carburetors have a degree of tunability. These you can adjust almost nothing. It's it's all pretty much set in stone. Not all of it, but most of it. Um, so it, you know, started a little hard, and I didn't think anything about it. I let it warm up for a second, and I head to work. I make it to the intersection to leave my neighborhood and it just dies at the red light. Hmm. And I'm, it's, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that it's just enough downhill that I'm able to put the clutch in and coast it over to the side of the road and get out of everybody's way. And I fuck with it for a little bit. And uh, the, the one thing like, I'm impulsive enough that like there, if I'm, if my engine is flooded, I have a routine that I go through, which doesn't do any good other than it keeps me from trying to start the motor for long enough for the flooding to kind of evaporate. Nice. I'm like, I'm literally talking about like, without even getting out of the driver's seat, I pull the doghouse, I'll pull a plug, or I pull a plug boot to see if I'm getting spark. If I'm getting spark, I'll start pulling the plugs and looking to see how they look. And they were all like fouled. So I, I know that I'm, I'm running rich. I like pull the top of my carburetor off to see how that looks. You know, swab things down, whatever. And get everything back together. I, I'll, I've also called my boss at this point, like, hey, I'm running late. Don't even know if I'm going to be in work today. He's like, all right, just let me know what happens. 
I uh, get everything back together. It fires up. At this point, I've, I've been messing with it for maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that. I circle around. I do some real sketchy maneuvers because there's not an easy way to pull back into my neighborhood from where I'm at. So I just do a pretty wild U-turn. And it turned out fine because there wasn't a lot of traffic. But I get back to my house. My boss picks me up. I don't worry about it for the rest of the day. I get home. I go through the carburetor. Tweak a couple of things. I even, like, sight on Like, I don't know the specific measurements for it, but I adjust the float on my carburetor, which is about the only thing you can adjust on it. And that, that determines the uh, fuel level at idle, which tells it, like, uh, it means that you will get more fuel, like, uh, under normal conditions or, like, less vacuum to pull enough fuel out at idle. Either way you want to look at it. It drives fine the rest of the day. It drives fine the next day. Wednesday morning, I leave for work again. And it dies about 200 feet past where it died the first point. <laughs> That's progress. So right? you're making progress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like the, the consistent factor was that it was flooding. It was it was dying like really close to home. It wasn't I wasn't getting very far before it just flooded out. And uh, it was one of those things where it it's fixed now, but I, I don't know the specific thing that I did that fixed it. I cleaned the needle and seat really well, which is the seal that prevents more fuel from coming into it when it's not calling it. Like I'm being specific about this because I know like, you know, carburetors are fucking dinosaur technology. Sometimes a piece of debris or anything like that can get stuck between the needle and seat and it will allow fuel into the carburetor when there shouldn't be. That will definitely that at that point you have like six to eight PSI of fuel just being pumped into the engine. So, you know, not ideal. Uh, so I cleaned that. I took ether or, or you know carb cleaner and, and sprayed all that down, cleaned it up, looked up some specs just to see what I could find for this carburetor. At that point, I realized that it's definitely going to flood easier because it like so th this carburetor has what you call a phenolic. Uh, wait, no, not not phenolic. Uh, of now the word's escaping me. It's a specific type of float that does have the capability to absorb gas, but generally like it takes, you know, years or decades for it to start absorbing gas. It's like once it breaks down, but I don't think that was the case. I think that my, my carb just came incredibly poorly set up from the factory when I ordered a new one last year. After several adjustments to lean it out more and more and more, I got it to where it's at right now, which is running better than it has in almost a year and I haven't gone through a tank of gas yet to figure it out, but I'm, I would put money on it that if my fuel economy is not somewhat back to normal, it's at least two miles per gallon better. Oh, it, yeah. No, dude, it's, it was great. I adjusted the float three or four times to make it leaner, which means that at least four times it was too rich over like a standard can like a, like idle condition. I, I'm not like, I, I need to do a couple of other things to like get my baseline back to where it was last year when I was getting like semi-decent fuel economy out of that motor. But I'm really hoping that I'm at least back into the like 10 to 12 mile gallon range because it hit, at last check, it was down to seven. Oof. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but this, the, like the little side quest involved here is, uh, the second time that it broke down, 
I, I, again, I called my boss and I let him know that I was going to be late because I hadn't fixed the problem with the carburetor yet. And we weren't working on anything important. But uh, he decided that it was, and I'm so fucking glad he doesn't listen to this show because I'm not really trying to talk shit. He is a friend of mine, but he was, the way he was acting this morning was just not okay. Uh, I, I, I ended up getting like this speech about how he needed me to get to work and like, when am I going to be there? And he like, uh, he loved, he loves how reliable I am, but if my van's going to be breaking down all the time, then, and he can't count on me, then we're going to have to like figure something out. And this is my same boss who like gets real weird about me riding my bike to work. Like he lives like two or three miles from me. If I don't have a car, I can just ride over to his house and we all drive to job sites together. Yeah, that's nothing. No, it's like, in fact, while my van was being uncertain, I kept riding my bike to work. But he was super insistent that he needed me to have reliable transportation in case (laughs) of this, that, and the other thing. Which means a car. Which, When they say reliable transportation, they mean a car. Because Americans are car brain to a point that is truly staggering he he specifically didn't mean car he meant van because if we need a supply run he needs except here's the thing in the year i've worked with him he's never sent me on a supply run (laughs) (laughs) and just in case one of these days he might need you to do a supply run it's not even him being a dick it's him being as anxiety brained as i am and like like no i need eight backup plans in case seven of them go wrong yeah except that like you know, you can feel that way all you want to, but you don't make it my problem. And uh, he decided that that was going to be my problem for the week. And then even once I got the van running again and it kept not breaking down, it was for another week. I kept hearing about it like, oh, are you sure you got it fixed? Like, because uh, I'm going to really need you like next week, blah, blah, blah. Then then the week, the work for the like that week got like canceled anyway. And the reason I'm bringing all that up is because I was I found the, his whole like diatribe about me getting to work and being reliable. And now like, you know. He, he loves that I drive my 50-year-old van to work, but then the second it breaks, it makes me unreliable. And I'm like, no, dude, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, I'm done with this. And so I have started looking for a new job, and I think I found one. And it will be back doing what I'm used to doing, like running, working in a machine shop. And uh, it'll even be doing a little bit of light engineering. And it sounds sick. And I'm trying to not get my hopes up, but... I think I have gotten it, and I'm very excited about that possibility. Nice. Yeah, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. This sounds great. And all it took was uh, my shitty old van breaking down all the time. <laughs> and I will say, it is every time I drive my Ford to a, uh, a job for an interview, inevitably somebody sees me pull up, and I end up having a conversation at this job interview with like some of the employees about how cool my van is. And then they'll get talking to me about cars and so on and so forth. And I <laughs> honestly think that my the van that I drive to these places in is more of a resume than my actual work history. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. It's like, oh, here's where I welded the frame back together. And like, oh, I, had, I had to resurface this. And like I had to hammer this sheet metal from scratch because no one makes it anymore. People are like, uh, okay, <laughs> well, that you seem like an interesting employee to have on, on board. <laughs> I, I kind of wish that worked for me because I was actually late one one day last week because uh, the I, the Amazon delivery guy wanted to talk about my MR2. Oh, no, that's backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if I get this job, I won't have to drive anymore because I will live less than two miles from work. Nice. 
Yeah. That's it. Very you excited. About all your cars, project cars. Oh, that's the yes. plan, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. You can make them not running. <laughs> that's great. As long, as long as the bicycle's got air in its tires, I'll do anything I want to to the cars, man. Hell, yeah. And hell, even if I do drive seven miles to the gallon, fuck it. I'll fill up every two or three weeks. That's true. Yeah. Hell, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, great. When, when your daily commute is, is three to, to, to three and a half miles, uh, you know, that's still only a gallon of gas every two days. <laughs> yeah. I used to have a two, awesome. two mile commute and it was pretty nice. Uh, I ended up driving more than I wish I did just because I am bad at time management and I would be too <laughs> late to take a bike, but, um, I mean, I'm oh, used, that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm used to machine me. shops starting at six or seven in the morning. This place is a regular spot that opens at nine. So oh, I, I wish I could find that too. Yeah. I, I get up around seven 30 just on my own. So I'll, I'll, I still am somehow bad at time management, but I think that that'll give me time to eat, get some coffee in me and then pedal to work. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's, sure. that's, that sounds great. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you updated obviously, but I'm, I'm even on recording, I'm struggling to like, you know, re- hold back my excitement. Cause it is a, a good, a cool job, like right, right up my alley, doing what I want to be doing, getting paid well for it and not having to, uh, exp- worry about blowing up my motor and getting to work. Fuck yeah. yeah. I don't know about you guys. I'm constantly concerned about blowing my shit up <laughs> and the repercussions oh, yeah. of it. I only worry about it every day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, I drive a Subaru with 200,000 miles. Of course, I worry about that. <laughs> uh, I don't worry about it a ton because my motor's brand new, but uh, I've also spent a lot of money on it. So uh, I worry a lot just because I'm like, okay, I better check this fucking oil, make sure there's enough and doing all kinds of stuff so i'm like yeah no i remember I when you it. were having all those drivability issues uh i, I know even if you were worried <laughs> about blowing it up you were worried about at least getting there i'm i'm already con- you know con- again considering standalone ecu options still so uh i think i'll be putting back my wheel purchase like most likely the, the idea of cars that. as a hobby pu- purely as a hobby and not as a necessity i am ecstatic yeah <laughs> I've I've already started riding my bike to the grocery store and errands around town, so I'm prepared. Yeah, I'm I'm I think I've said this, but I'm thinking about getting an e-bike uh, so I can commute. Just basically, just so I can, you know, like my ten twelve mile commute will be feasible on a bicycle. Um, yeah, but I would argue that it's feasible even on a regular bicycle. But man, you'd be sweaty when you got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would take like two hours. Uh, I used to ride 25 miles a day. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not that in shape. Well, I wasn't when I started. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did figure out the other day, I can ride my bike to the library about as quick as I can drive. Uh, oh, because yeah. I can take the back roads and stuff. So, nice. um, yeah. Next step, uh, learn to read. <laughs> 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 well, uh Let's uh, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll get on to our our main content. Yeah, I could go grab myself some water. Yeah, sweet. Sounds like a cool. plan. All right, we're back, and we're gonna talk a little bit about some basic maintenance that you can be doing yourself on your car. But I think first, uh, Connor, you wanted to go over 
just some of the major systems of a car and how they work generally, just to give a little bit of background info. Yeah, so so if especially like, you know, if if you're younger, haven't owned a car before, or this is all theoretical to you, or you know, or if you don't care, you know, give two shits about a car, um, but someone sent you this episode to listen to, we'll just give you a quick a quick foundation to work from. So, you know, there's a few major you know, major systems of a car, right? So you've got the engine, and then you've got which is like oftentimes called the powertrain. Uh, it generates the power that makes you go. Then there's the drivetrain, which is all the components that take that power from the motor and turn it into motion for you to drive. Uh, from there, you've got the suspension, which is what holds the body uh, and the frame of the car up off the ground and helps you, you know, feel not feel bumps as much um, and react to changing road conditions. Uh, and then the other major system is your brakes just obviously they pretty self-explanatory stop the car all these different components of the car all work together to give you something that's going to generally function to get you from point a to point b suspension includes you know your your struts your springs the shock absorbers um control arms various bushings sway bars which connect your control arms in your car so that when one side moves it's affecting the other side in in a commensurate way uh, just to keep everything all tied together this is so that when you're turning and the car leans right all the weight goes to one side you have an entire system of your car dedicated to making sure that the wheels are going to move in the right way they're, they're going to steer in the right direction and that the whole body of the car is going to move in a way that is not going to like be jarring or upsetting to you or causes your tires to lose contact with the road so that is the whole point of all those systems so like when you go to the mechanic and they're like oh you got a a bad control arm or a bad bushing or uh you need new tie rods because they wear out these are parts that wear out because they see a lot of stress from a moving vehicle and they take uh, really harsh road conditions and turn it into you feeling relatively comfortable in the driver's seat there's a lot of parts that cause that, so that's why they wear out. So that's kind of what all that stuff does. The drivetrain includes like your transmission, your differential, parts of the car that basically take the spinning flywheel of the engine and transmit all that torque and that power to your tires so that you can move. Um, so obviously that stuff's under a lot of stress and can break and needs to be taken care of just like anything else. Uh, and then of course brakes, this is the thing that you're probably going to change pretty often on your car. And when you're going to the, going to the shop, there's a good chance you're going to end up having to do brakes at some point. Um, which if you're a beginner, brakes are a pretty good place to like look on YouTube and you could probably do your own brakes. Whoever you are, you could probably figure it out. Uh, it's not, it's not as difficult as it might seem. So, um, just anyways, as an uh, aside here, I don't know if this is the right time to bring this up, but I guess I'll bring it up now. If you drive somewhere that's hilly a lot, or if you're driving, you know, like here in Colorado, we have mountains. If you're driving up to the mountains very frequently, getting heat into your brakes can really cause them to wear out much quicker. So it's very important if you don't want to be spending, you know, $500 or more replacing your brakes frequently if you drive somewhere with a lot of hills to even if you own an automatic transmission car shift down yep 
yeah. shift down on downhills <laughs> and use the transmission to slow you down. Do not ride your brakes. You can warp brakes in one trip if you're on them constantly. And Literally my favorite thing about having a manual when living in the mountains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Engine braking. So yep. using the engine... That's using the engine to slow you down uh, naturally rather than your brakes. And that's important because, yeah, mountains will cook brakes. I forget that. So many people. Yeah. So many people that have lived in this state their entire life. I just see riding the brakes on, you know, downhills. And it's it's just going to cost you money. I promise your transmission can handle it. It'll sound loud. You'll be in high RPMs, but it's okay. It's not hurting anything. Just shift down. Yeah, that's a very good tip. Yeah. And, you know, if you've ever driven up and down Pikes Peak, uh, they have all kinds of signs telling you to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have, you know, park rangers with um, those like uh, infrared uh, thermometer things to check the temperature of your brakes to make sure that you're not overheating them. Yeah. And, you know, also like brake fluid, uh, if it gets too hot, will boil. And then um, that gas uh, from the boiling will be able to be compressed more easily than the hydraulic fluid. So um, you can uh, basically your brake pedal will go to the floor if it gets too hot and then you won't have any brakes. You won't be able to stop. So um, one thing you uh, will get to this, you know, you probably want to flush your brake fluid um, and get new brake fluid every few years. uh, I think around three years, depending on what kind it is and get some good high quality brake fluid. 30,000 miles is recommended. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about three years. And uh, because uh, it'll break down over time from heat and from, um, you know, if there's a, if it gets exposed to air, it can draw water in and that will also lower the boiling point of the fluid. Really what we're saying is brakes are very, very important. And yeah. <laughs> if anything you should be paying attention to, it's this. Yeah. Your brakes are a very serious part of I would, put, I would put steering on par with braking, but I do yeah, see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. I feel like steering is generally okay for the most part, though. As well, you drive different vehicles than I do. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of things that wear out frequently on modern cars, brakes are way higher on the list. That's... Yeah, tie rods go, but even then, unless you let, really let them go there. Yeah. It'll tell you loudly if yeah. your tie rods are going. <laughs> And, and I'm going to say tires are up there, too. I've seen Absolutely. so many people driving in the snow on bald tires, and it doesn't work well. Which, ultimately, tires are part of your braking system. But yeah. we can get into yeah. that later. Yeah, so. well, I, I got a whole section on uh, understanding tires a little bit uh, later. Um, but, yeah, brakes important. By the way, if you're new to this and you've only ever gone to shops um, and you've never tried to do this stuff on your own, it's worth noting that most auto parts stores, you can buy brand new brake pads and rotors. Always buy them together. Don't just do a pad slap. Buy brakes, pads, and rotors. But most of them have a lifetime warranty on their brake pads that mm-hmm. they interpret very liberally and that they <laughs> will let you just bring back the old pads forever to replace them over and over again. <laughs> it's a life hack. Some stores won't let you get away with it, but for the most part... Um, you can always replace them and they're like, you know, 50 bucks or whatever, uh, for front or rear. Uh, but a lot of times they'll have that lifetime warranty. So when they wear out, you just bring them back, change them out and you're good to go. And when they wear out again, do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, doing it yourself has some perks. 
And don't just get the cheapest brake pads you can get because they will make noise, like lots of loud noise. You yeah. can get the cheapest brake pads you could get. The best thing to ask for is the original equipment brake pads, which will be the correct engineered brake pad for your vehicle. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll pose this question to the group, but specifically to Red Deck Zach. What do y'all think about ceramic brake pads? Because to me, I think they're worth the investment, but maybe I uh, maybe I'm wrong. I've never come across ceramic uh, pads for uh, drum brakes, so I don't know. <laughs> they're becoming they're becoming the standard. So like, yeah, yeah I'm joking you, though. Well, yeah, if you go to the parts store, um, chances are you're you're gonna get like. Uh, ceramic brake pad they're probably going to say like you know meets or exceeds oem specifications and you know these days anything made after 2010 is probably going to come with ceramics anyway my complaint is i just did a brake job i put some ceramic brakes on and they make a lot more noise than my last brakes so i gotta Mm -hmm. look at them but like i hear them literally i hear the friction to me which is i've never heard before and i'm like what is that because that's I thought ceramics were supposed to be very quiet, so I'm a little, a little salty about that. But I don't know if that's something that I did wrong or what. But I, they they stopped the car pretty effectively, so I think they're just kind of noisy. Yeah, I got the yeah. I got the super high, you know the quote unquote super high end ceramics from AutoZone because uh, I ordered the wrong ones initially online. So uh, maybe it's just an AutoZone problem. I don't know. Yeah. And, and I'll also say, uh, off of what Redneck Zach said, don't get the cheapest rotors that you can find because they'll yeah. warp a lot quicker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Get quality parts for that stuff. Yeah. Oh, the other thing, if you're listening to this episode, there's a good chance you do care about the environment. So if you can, also worth considering getting the copper-free ceramic brake pads. Uh, copper, apparently creates a nasty dust that gets into waterways through storm drains and uh i don't know fucks up fish and stuff real bad uh like a crazy amount for some reason so um i think there's coming bans on uh you know copper based like ceramic brakes containing copper but um if you're at the parts store there's a good chance that the like higher end ceramic brake pads are going to be copper free if you care about the environment uh it might be worth getting those that's what I did. So, yeah, and we can cut this, but I don't know if we have it planned. But we should talk about disposal of fluids as well, uh, since we're on the environmental. Yeah. Oh topic. yeah, don't throw that yeah. shit in the trash can. Like you can take <laughs> that to a uh, a parts store and they can dispose of it properly. Yeah, uh, you definitely want to throw your car batteries in the ocean, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's that helps the ocean. It creates yes. an artificial reef of car batteries. <laughs> <laughs> it helps recharge the electric eels. I literally give all of my fluids to my buddy who has a, uh, an oil burning heater. (laughs) That also works. Uh, but yeah, oil, oil filter should go to the parts store. Parts stores cannot get rid of, uh, antifreeze coolant. So if you drain that, you have to take that to like an oil change place, like a Jiffy lube or something. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's where that stuff has to go. If you have other stuff that they won't take for whatever reason, a lot of municipalities will have. Uh, you just call up a municipality and ask when they can take that stuff, and they will usually say, "Oh, we do it every once a month. We take these chemicals or whatever, and you, and you do that." So, and it is free. Just to yeah. put that out there, it is free disposal. You do not have to pay for that. You just got to go make a trip. So, yeah. 
yeah worth worth doing for sure yep and then uh okay, or if yeah. you know any wealthy people that um. <laughs> <laughs> also a good use of your uh, your disposal chemicals all right so aside from all that though that's pretty much the long and short of your basic systems of a car uh and how they how they come together to get you basically to work in terms of how an engine works that's kind of like the more complicated bit um air fuel spark baby yeah that's what brandon just said air fuel spark that's the most important thing and Technically, also compression, but if you don't have compression, you have big enough problems to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. You're not worried about our little pithy saying. Yeah. So there's basically an engine seems really daunting and you might be scared and think, I can't possibly understand how that works. But the truth is, it's actually not nearly as difficult as you think. There's just a few components that you need to know about. We'll get into components probably in a future basics episode. But for now, what you really need to know is. An engine takes in air, and then it squirts in fuel, and that's part of the intake stroke. So what happens is the piston moves down, creates a vacuum inside the cylinder, and it draws in air, and then your fuel injector or your carburetor at some point just splashes fuel, whatever. Air and fuel come into the cylinder as the piston drops, right? Then the valves close, and the piston moves upward because it's all connected to a crankshaft that goes in a circle so it can only so the piston goes up and down crankshaft goes in a circle uh, transmitting that up and down motion into a circular motion which turns your flywheel and that goes to your wheels right so basically on the way down it pulls air and fuel in then the valves close and then the piston goes back up naturally because it doesn't have a choice this is the compression stroke so it takes all the stuff that it just pulled into the cylinder and it compresses it this increases the pressure and it increases the temperature and it just makes everything really nice and tight. Um, but when the spark happens, uh, which obviously what your spark plug is there to do, what that ha- what happens is it puts all the air fuel mixture into one place for that spark to ignite. It ignites, uh, it creates a flame front, which then moves outward from the spark uh, and it pushes the piston right back down. Uh, as this happens, it it's just like a regular fire. It consumes the air and fuel, creates a bunch of byproducts. Some of them are nasty. Some of them are less nasty. They're all pretty gross. Uh, and then, so that powers the stroke down, transmitting uh, force to the crankshaft, which is what's making you move. Uh, and then, once again, the piston moves back up. The exhaust valve opens, and this pushes all the nasty exhaust gases right back out. So there's four strokes that we care about. The intake, compression, uh, well, blank in here, power stroke, and then the exhaust stroke. Um, Otherwise known as suck, squeeze, bang, and blow. Yep. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to make the joke. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is that so even a joke? That's literally just how I hear people describe it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yep. If you have a dirty mind, it's a really good way to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that's, I mean, that's it. That's so all the, all the, all the complicated stuff with your engine. Yeah. It gets more complex than that, but really that's, what's important. So if your car is not working, there's a few things, there's really only a few things to check. Are you getting air? Are you getting fuel? Are you getting spark? And if so, are you getting too much of one of those or, or vice for whatever the case not may enough. be? Yeah. Not enough, too much, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but really, there's only a few elements you need to uh, make an engine work. 
Listen, if the dummies in the 1880s could figure this stuff out, <laughs> you can. You have the power of the internet in your pocket. You got this. Yeah. It's uh, honestly it's it I don't know about you guys, but for me, I got into cars later in life and it was literally like learning the confidence to be like, "Oh, I can do this." That's yeah. the big thing. It's the so the confidence. It's so daunting at first, but then the more you like sure, every one of us has talked about how frustrated we have been broken down at some point. But that's that's still somehow different because it's it's this the frustration that's slowing you down. Like well, usually once you can calm down, you can do you know some basic uh, uh, you know figuring out and get back on the road. You get going, or, or you know the problem and you don't have the resources to fix it. But it's still knowing the problem is still puts you ahead of where you were. Oh yeah, it helps me when I yeah. like even when I go to the shop. It helps me a lot to know what the problem is, I and mean, I can I can go in and I'll tell them on the phone. Hey, here's what's going on. It's doing this thing. I've diagnosed it already. Here's what it is. I already know what it's going to cost for the most. You know what I mean? So it's like knowledge is power in this, uh, especially if you are, you know, any anyone who's not a white man, basically. Um, you know, if you were a woman, uh, a lot of times uh, people will try and take advantage of that. Um, knowledge is power here. So knowing that kind of stuff, even vaguely, just a little bit of knowledge goes a long way. Um, you know, it's just it's a few aspects to keep in mind. We'll go and in a future episode, we'll go more into the various parts of engines and how it all comes together to work. But this is just kind of a foundational thing to go over so that when we talk about changing fluids and stuff, that makes a little bit more sense. But we also just kind of want to impart the idea that this stuff is complicated and you have to but like, it's not that complicated and you can, whoever you are, whoever's listening to this, you can do it. You can look on YouTube to fix anything or figure out any problem. If you need to change your headlight bulb because your headlight's out, one, they will do that at the parts store for free. If you <laughs> buy the bulb, they'll do it at the parts store. But you can also do it yourself. I think that's a little more empowering. Um, you can just type on on YouTube, your year make a model and whatever repair you need to do. And there is someone who is taken a video of them repairing it step by step so a part of this whole the point of this episode is just to convince you that like hey give it give youtube a try real quick you might be able to figure this out there's a good chance you can do these basic steps and just progress into someone who actually can fix stuff pretty easily without too much trouble uh, uh redneck zach do you have something yeah i gotta go guys i'm sorry oh, oh. no it's all right man uh, I, I got to go see my mom. Um, uh, I told her we would come. I didn't realize we were going to be home for like two hours. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we fuck around too much, but uh, we appreciate you oh, joining it's, us. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Um, I just, if I'd known, I would have been not made plans for this evening. Um, but yeah, I think the only thing that I would say is check it in your, check for your maintenance intervals in in your owner's manual, mm-hmm. most yeah. most stuff needs to be changed at 100,000 miles or more on modern cars. Like your coolant needs to be changed at 100,000 miles, spark plugs usually at 120, transmission fluid at 100 or 120. And the only thing you really need to do at below 100,000 miles is change your oil and change your brake, brake fluid. And even brake fluid, you can let it go a little longer than that. But if you do all the maintenance that you're supposed to do on your vehicle, your vehicle will last a lot longer. Oh, yeah. 100%. Like you're talking about doing all the maintenance at the required intervals 
on a vehicle and not doing it at the required intervals is the difference between it lasting, you know, five to seven years and 10 to 12 years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, thanks guys. And uh, y'all keep in touch and I'll see y'all later. Yeah. Right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you. Later. See ya. All right. Um, yeah. If I could just real quick and you guys yeah. feel free to tell me that I'm full of shit, but honestly, I've worked a lot of jobs and I don't think learning how to work on a car is any more difficult than learning any job I've ever learned. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I've learned some pretty, what most people would consider simplistic jobs. It, it's no more difficult than that. At least when we're talking basic maintenance stuff, it, it's really yeah, not more complicated sure. than that. If you have uh, you know, if you're a working class person, your job is most likely more difficult than maintaining a car. I would venture to almost guarantee it. Yeah. And unless you have a really rare or unusual car, you know, someone has come across whatever problem you have before and someone has figured out the solution. You know, it's not rocket surgery. The, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, cars are, are not that complicated and they're, you know, a, a pretty solved issue at this point. Yeah. They functionally haven't changed in like a hundred years. There's been yeah. minor adjustments, really. Yeah. Also worth mentioning, if you have been a long-term listener of the show, is that uh, this is this is always true of like regular cars. We tend to have constant problems <laughs> because we have chosen to do uh, borderline idiotic things to our cars. <laughs> yes. Uh, that aren't necessary, but we enjoy. So, you know, I'm driving like, 50 year old vehicles exclusively that have seen some rough years, you know, they, they can be a little bit more daunting or if you, you know, double or triple the horsepower output of your <laughs> factory car, you're going to encounter more problems. But like we're talking to the people who are driving regular cars and it really does get as simple as do maintenance. Check this, check that, check your oil, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We create the problems that we have. Entirely. <laughs> These are not standard problems. It's all because of shit that we have chosen to do. Like, don't let this discourage you if you think that, you know, working on cars by yourself is going to be as difficult as we make it seem. It's not. We create these issues. Yeah, we're modifying shit. And that that is never works out how you want it to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm driving shit that's lived in the Rust Belt for 50 years. <laughs> yeah. You know how the Rust Belt got its name? <laughs> Brandon's Garage. <laughs> That's a sort of a chicken or the egg kind of argument. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, quick side tangent. You know, my uh, my grandparents lived in Michigan, and I was at their house as a child once, uh, like helping clean out their garage. And I was like trying to scrub and clean this uh, metal... Um, great like a floor drain in the middle of the garage and i'm like why isn't all this red stuff cleaning off of this uh this metal like what's going on here because <laughs> being from colorado stuff doesn't rust nearly as much as it does in michigan is it really or... that stark oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yes. really yeah okay all right well <laughs> um one of my cars is from alabama and i was just shocked at like how easy bolts would break free when i just put a wrench to them yeah, I, I heard someone uh, someone else who's from Michigan talking about uh, it was uh, David Tracy from the, the Autopian. Uh, he was talking about like he, he recently moved to Southern California and he's like, 
yeah, you know, the, the grade of rustiness is like on a totally different scale in Michigan versus LA. Like, you know, if you get, if you advertise a car for sale in Michigan and you say it's rust free, like the, the, I don't know, um, mutually understood uh, fact is that it's going to have at least a little bit of surface rust. But, oh, for you know, sure. if you brought that car to LA, they'd be like, this thing is a pile of shit. It's all covered in rust. You know what? Oh my God. Yeah, that's crazy. Cause I'm like, no, there's a, like, I'd look at some, I'd look at a rusty piece of metal and be like, damn, that's rust free as fuck. <laughs> rust has not created a hole all the way through it yet. So it's exactly. rust free. It's look, I can touch it and it doesn't like rain down on me. That's that's, there's no rust there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Different, different standards, I guess. Yeah. My, my cutlass has one little bad spot on it. Like, I mean, gr- granted, it, it's still a, a 67. It's seen some years. So, like, you know, you still get shit in your eyes when you're underneath it working on it. But, like, to compare it to some of the vehicles I own that, like, live their whole lives up here, it's it's night and day. Yeah. It's 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 one the one vehicle I routinely don't have to put a torch to to get bolts free. Yeah, I, I find that everything is seized on my car all the time. And my shit's not even that rusty. No, dude, yeah. it's... Uh, living up north, it's it's effectively what you encounter in like a 2009 at this point like it's still seen over 10 years of salt yeah like it might still look nice and be holding up together but that doesn't mean mean that everything's just gonna like come apart and go back together normally anymore yeah i guess you're right (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're gonna talk a lot about how you can do a lot of things on your own uh, in this podcast series. Uh, but if you live in the Rust Belt and you have to do a wheel bearing, just <laughs> let somebody else do that. Just, <laughs> just let someone else take care of that one for you. Yeah. Again, that comes back to like knowing what you're doing means knowing when to walk away. Absolutely. Yeah. That's proof that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I mean, there's definitely stuff that I've taken my car to a professional to get done rather than try and tackle myself like i'm not going to try and do an alignment myself you know i mean i know people that have done that but i'm not in here i'm already thinking about like i'm like hmm, maybe i should get one of them track alignment kits i, I could see that doing <laughs> serving paying some dividends for me but yeah <laughs> well the bright side is we get like we're like outraged when we're like oh my god i cannot find this problem and i have spent three hundred dollars uh, meanwhile, if you went to the mechanic, he, they might have found the problem quicker, but you'd be into it for seven or eight. Yeah. 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 That's kind of where I'm at now with my own car. <laughs> yeah. I, I helped a, a friend with his van recently. He, he messed up some electrical going to his transmission. It wouldn't shift properly. We replaced $180 worth of electrical components just seeing before we actually found out that a wire had been pinched. And he was like, dude, I spent almost $200. And I'm like... Yeah, well, what did the mechanic say when you talked to him? And he was like, oh, they wouldn't touch it because he said it's too old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been there. This too. is also maybe a, a tip for people. Uh, if you get a ridiculous quote from a, a mechanic shop, like something that seems really, really out there, they might be giving you what's called a fuck you price, which is where they just don't want to work on it for whatever reason. And so they're trying to price you out of them having to work on it. So like, say you have some simple maintenance item or seemingly simple maintenance item and they're quoting you like three grand. Yeah. They're giving you a fuck you price because they just don't want to do it. It's a thing. It's, uh, it's the same. It, 
It's it's the same as the I don't want to sell it price when somebody has something listed for sale at an absurd price. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, they just don't actually want to sell it. It's like, well, this is worth $5,000 and you're asking 20. Why would anyone buy that? And they're like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like someone might. And if they don't, I don't care. I want to keep it. So, yeah. yeah. My, my two options here, I get way more money for my car than it's worth or I get to keep my car. So uh, Redneck Zach uh, touched on this. And by the way, for the listener, if you didn't listen to the last episode, uh, that's what he prefers to be called uh, is uh, Redneck Zach. Um, and yeah, we're not doing... just disparaging him. Yeah. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good way to delineate himself from me because there are two exactly. Zachs. So. Yeah. so he went over some uh, service intervals uh, previous, but uh, I'll, I'll go into a little bit more depth on this. So if you're changing oil, uh, you want to do that around uh, 5,000 miles for conventional oil, um, unless you're driving your car very hard if uh, you're driving on track. Um, Or you have a Subaru. Change (laughs) it more frequently if you have a Subaru, like 3,000 miles. Or if you have a turbocharged car, yes. But if you have a turbocharged car or a performance car, you should probably use synthetic oil anyways. Um, so the uh, conventional, yeah, it, I don't care what, what kind of car you have it use, use synthetic oil Yeah, for, for the yeah, most, honestly. unless you have like a 50 year old vehicle, chances are always use synthetic. And I would recommend personally get the good synthetic, the best one you can buy, the more expensive one. Um, I, I have the, at least the experience that I used exclusively one type of oil, Castrol edge, whatever. And mm. I use that exclusively from 60,000 miles to 160,000 miles. And when the motor was torn down, that shit was clean as fuck. Pristine. I had it taken down, not because it failed, but because I was beating the shit out of the car. And I was like, mm, it's a lot of miles. I better make sure it's all good and rebuild it with some fancier parts. But when it was taken apart, we saw that that maintenance made a huge difference in how the you know how the engine managed heat and friction and all that stuff using good synthetic oil is is definitely something that will help you avoid future problems big time so that's i i would absolutely recommend using the finest oil you can get is the move that's that's the thing that will keep you from having problems in the future yeah definitely and so i i know like back in the day the conventional wisdom was change your oil every 3000 miles. And that's really not true anymore. Like even regular conventional oil has gotten a lot better. um, And it resists breakdown. And you know, you can go 5000 miles Um, with synthetic oil, depending on the car, you can go between 7500 and 15,000 miles between changes. I don't know if I would go 15,000 miles, but it is you know, something you can do if, you know, you're for whatever reason, you can't get to an oil change. Um, 15,000 miles is what I do when I hate the engine and I want an excuse to change it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing that, but if yeah. you want to go to eight and 9,000, a lot of synthetic oils can't handle that, but yeah. there's a caveat here and, and we're going to get to checking your oil. You should be checking your oil regularly. If you're going to, extend that interval any further because if it's burning oil or leaking or anything like that you could get low 
you're, you're just extending that period of time in which you could lose oil and you don't want to get low on oil and then do that. Yeah. So, and, and again, you know, like, uh, redneck Zach said, you can check your car's owner's manual, or you can look this up online to find service intervals. And what that basically means is it'll say every, you know, 5,000 miles change your oil every 30,000 miles do this or that. Um, it'll have everything graphed out. So, you know, okay, it's been this long since this has been changed. I got to do it now. And while we're on the topic, it's probably good to mention now, a lot of cars will have a standard amount of consumption of oil. So they say, you know, and this is in a lot of owner's manuals, they'll say that they may consume like one quart of oil per 5,000 miles. So, you know, between every oil change, you're going to consume about one quart of oil. So this is why another reason you need to be checking your oil regularly so that if you do say consume two quarts in 3000 miles, you know that there's an issue. Say yeah. I'm, I'm consuming more than what the standard consumption is. Something is going on that needs to be checked out. And I guess uh, it's worth saying the reason why you need to change the oil is just because um, from the heat of the engine, uh, it'll break down uh, some of the compounds and they won't lubricate as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it'll also just get dirty from uh, combustion products that, that find their way into the oil uh, and, um, you know, little bits of metal that wear down from uh, the metal uh, in the engine wearing against each other. And that's normal. That happens. It's not something to be uh, worried about, but you do want to change the oil every once in a while to get rid of that. And another thing worth pointing out is you don't want to change your oil too often if you don't need to, mm-hmm. because it's it it's an environmental uh, problem. If you're, you know, spilling oil uh, while you're changing it, um, you know, you can you you can recycle the oil. It can go back to an oil refinery and get turned into new oil or gasoline or diesel or what have you. Um, but you do want, yeah, you don't want to change it if you don't have to, basically is what I'm saying. And because it costs money. Yeah, it costs money. Uh, I'll go through another couple uh, things you want to change. Uh, automatic transmission fluid every 60 to 100,000 miles. Similar kind of deal. It breaks down over time. Uh, it doesn't lubricate or um, you know have the right properties to work in a transmission. Manual transmission oil or differential oil. Uh, it's usually the same thing in most cars. So if you have a rear wheel drive or an all wheel drive car, you have a rear differential that has its own fluid. Uh, you want to change that every 30 to 60,000 miles. And, uh, and, you know, unless you have a special car that takes a special fluid or something. Worth mentioning, if you can change your oil, you can change your transmission fluid. It is yeah. not inherently any more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Same with definitely, I've definitely worked with a lot of vehicles where that's not true. <laughs> not inherently any more difficult. Case by case, potentially. But yeah, well, because a lot of GM transmissions were made to not change the uh, fluid, and so they did not put drains on them. <laughs> oh, what? That's yeah, like a, an old Turbo three fifty or four hundred, and even seven hundreds, which were the predecessor to four uh, L sixties. Like they're literally identical to 4L60s, except they're manually controlled instead of electronically controlled. Um, a lot of the pans didn't have drain plugs. Wow, huh. that's seems like a bad idea. I don't know when that changed. Well, I mean, <laughs> granted, this was a lot a long time ago, but this is coming from an era when an engine lasted a hundred thousand miles. Yeah, okay. that was that was the point where you pulled it and took it to the machine shop. Yeah, because you could afford a machine shop. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, sometimes they can they can be harder to fill. By the way, the tra- transmission differentials are more difficult to fill because they're not just like poured right into the top. Yeah. Um. Usually, it's you got to be under the car and stuff, but you know, you can do it. It is one very small step further, I would say. In, oh yeah. In terms yeah. of difficulty, yeah. it is technically more difficult, but like. If you can change, like I said, if you can change the oil, you can change transmission fluid. You can do it. It's it's not some crazy thing. <laughs> I would look up how to do it for your particular car. Absolutely. Um, I, I will say one thing that's universal is you want to you always want to make sure that you can get a wrench and open the the fill plug the air, the you know the plug where you mm-hmm. add fluid before you drain the fluid out. Um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, because uh, you want to make sure that you can put fluid back in it uh, once you once you all drain it all out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, if you're listening to this and you think, oh, I can't do it. I mean, we could just go through what it takes for the average car to change the the engine oil is so simple. I mean, it's really you might be kicking yourself for paying someone else to do this, because honestly, yeah. you, you open the hood, you look under there, there's a fill uh, thing for the oil so and there's also the dipstick so you should know where the dipstick is and to check that um, which you should be doing regularly as we said what you're going to do is you're going to pull that out wipe it off with a paper towel or a rag or a sock or whatever you got wipe it off put it back into the tube put it all the way down and then pull it back out and then read it from that point right so you clean it off first because it's seen running conditions and everything Usually when you check your oil, it's best for most cars um, if you can do it when it's cold and it's been sitting for several hours is best. But sometimes you can check it at the gas station. It just depends the vehicle. Uh, I know my engine, uh, which is a Nissan, you know, VQ 35, you got to wait a few hours uh, for it to be cold. But you check that oil, you wipe it off, put it back in, then you pull that dipstick and then there's going to be a high and a low mark on that the end of that dipstick. And basically, wherever you are within that range is going to tell you whether you need to add oil or if you're getting a little low or if you're perfectly fine. Uh, And you can also see the condition of the oil as well. So you can see it looks pretty new still or if it looks pretty nasty. I mean, which, you know, it's going to look nasty after a few thousand miles anyway. And if there's no oil on it at all, you need a longer dipstick. (laughs) That is not true. You need more oil. Yeah. <laughs> Almost and, always. And also, if it looks like a chocolate milkshake, uh, you might need a new motor. Ooh. Yeah. 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 I, I got the chocolate milkshake and saved the motor. I, I, hey. That's a thing I've done. Yeah. You at least probably need a new head gasket if that's the case. I needed new intake gaskets. It dumped all uh, of the coolant into my oil mm. pan. Not, it dumped it all into the oil, not into the heads or into the cylinder. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, scenario for that, dude, I was, I was like, what's the opposite of angry? Happy. (laughs) (laughs) Ecstatic. Ecstatic. That is actually the word I was looking for. I was, I was ecstatic when I like pulled the intake and saw exactly where you could see that like it had failed at. Uh, Connor, what are you saying? Oh, sorry. Um, so the other thing is that's checking oil. Uh, when it comes to changing the oil, it's really simple. There's going to be right on the top of the engine somewhere. There's going to be a big giant cap, where, which is for your oil filling. It's probably going to have an oil symbol on it or something like that. You undo that, and then you crawl under the car, which you've hopefully already lifted up. Or if I guess, oh well, yeah, I guess not everybody has a lowered car. There's some cars you could probably just crawl right under. 
If you um, have an SUV or something, yeah. Yeah, there's a good chance you probably don't even need to lift it up. Wow, that seems nice. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that aside, um, you're going to crawl under the car. You may have to move a plastic um, shroud or something. Again, check YouTube uh, if you're confused. But there could be an undershield um, of plastic. There's usually a little access door. So you'll open that, and you'll be looking at the uh, oil pan. Right at the bottom of the engine, the lowest point of the engine, there's going to be a little pan. Uh, and on there is going to be a bolt. And you'll just loosen that bolt and hopefully put a tray under it to catch all the oil. Uh, your hand's going to get covered in oil. There's no there's no way to avoid it. Just It's wear gloves, uh, like latex gloves, like uh, something like that, or keep a rag by you. Because when you take that bolt out, you are going to get oil on your hands. So just... Be okay with it. It's cool. It's fine. You wipe it off. You'll live. It's fine. Um, anyway, you remove that bolt and the oil just drains right out. There's nothing to it. Uh, at the same time, you will then reach up, find where the oil filter is. You will unscrew the oil filter, which will let a little bit more oil out. Uh, and you will then put on your new oil filter, which you've gotten at the parts store and you asked at the computer and they told you which one to pick. So you'll put your new oil filter on. Uh, I like to take some of the new oil um, that I'm about to put in the engine, dip my finger in there, and I put it on the gasket of that oil filter because uh, it has a little rubber gasket on there. That just helps it seal better and hopefully prevents it from getting you know super stuck on there. You screw and it if, in. You're, uh, if your oil filter is pointing down, like some newer cars have them on the top of the motor, um, but if it's pointing down, I would fill your oil filter full of oil at this point too, before you put it on just so that it's pre lubed and it's that much less time that the motor has to push oil around before it lubricates things. What do you mean? If it's pointed, say that one more time. If it's pointed, if it, if it's point like the, uh, if the oil filter screws on with the threads pointing up, I would fill it full of oil. So a lot of new cars have it on the top of the engine, like by where the oil fill is. So it's pointed down. So oh, okay. you, obviously if you put oil into it, it would, you would flip it upside down and it would all drain back out. So you can't, you shouldn't do that. Okay. Like yeah, I know a lot uh, Subaru, of new Subarus do that where they, it's yep. like, it screws down on that. And I, I found that to be strange because I'm used to it just being on the side of the engine, but right. Yeah. Or if it's, you know, pointed to the side, maybe don't fill it, but if yeah. it's pointed directly down so that you know the threads are pointed up i'm hoping i'm if you can fill it with correctly. oil without it spilling yes fill it with oil <laughs> yes that's the exactly. that's the key if it's not gonna spill fill it with oil first thank you um, yes that's exactly what i'm trying to get at <laughs> anyway so you will screw in the oil filter um you'll just screw it in hand tight right you're not going to use any tools or anything you're just going to screw it on till it's nice and snug and that is it once the oil is then drained you're just going to put that plug back in and you fill it with the correct oil and that's it. Your oil change is done. That is all there is to it. So if anyone has made you feel like that's a difficult task, um, they were lying to you, right? You can do this. Whoever you are, I, I would challenge you to try it because maybe you're skeptical and thinking, ah, no. go ahead and actually try it. Commit to doing it for your next oil change. I promise you can do it. It is very, very simple. And and we're here to 
tell you the things that you can and should do and the things that you probably can't do or it might be easier to go somewhere else. But do not forget that YouTube is a resource. If you, if you, we're telling you, you can change your oil, but if you feel uncertain, look up your make and model on YouTube. Somebody's done an oil change video for it. Yeah. 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 yeah and there's all kinds of things where it's like, I, I still, to this day, even for jobs that I know how to do, I will look them up to make sure that one, I don't miss any steps, but two, that's like, Hey, what am I getting into here? Is this a weekend project? Is this, the car is going to be down for a couple weeks. Can I do this in an hour? What is the case? I will check YouTube. And some people know tips and tricks that shave you like 20 minutes, 30, 30 minutes, half as much time. Yeah. And I'll say personally, if you look on YouTube and for whatever reason, whatever you're doing is not there, you can't find it on YouTube. This is an open invitation to anyone listening to this message me. I can help you. I promise I've probably worked on whatever car you're working on at least once in my life. And if not, I can at least get you closer than you were before. I've worked on a ton of cars doing a ton of maintenance stuff for different people. Message and me. I will help you out. I'm, I'm good with older stuff and classics. I don't think I've ever actually put this out here live on recording before, but uh, easiest place to find me is on Instagram, G10Junkman. Uh, ask me whatever you need. Yeah, yeah I mean, email, the, email the podcast account. Yeah. We'll, someone will get it to whoever is best yeah, at whatever you're, you're looking at, and we can... We can help you out. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for everyone on the pod, but I know that for me, yeah, yeah, I can someone help can help. Anyone out. Well, if, well, if I can help, help, I will help. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I'll say a couple things on on oil changes. Uh, I guess first, if you're gonna lift up your car with a jack, uh, make sure it's done safely. You know, are, are you saying are... not my Harbor Freight jack stands? <laughs> yeah, the ones that were recalled. Yeah, you you don't want to get those. So, you know, you can just use the jack that comes with the car, but, you know, make sure you're doing it properly. You put it on the proper jacking point. Um, You know, usually it's the pinch weld on the bottom sill of the door. You can also use those like plastic ramps that you drive up on top of. Just make sure it's secure. Um, I've also seen people work on their car where they drive one wheel up on a curb to lift that side of their car. (laughs) Um, That's a good one. That's a little sketchy, but, uh, you know, as long as everything's solid and it's not going to fall down and squish you. What is sketchy about that? (laughs) (laughs) Always Um, good, by the way, to uh, chalk the wheels that are not. If you're not lifting wheels, uh, like the back wheels, put put a piece of wood, a wedge, something behind those back tires. Put your parking brake on uh, so that you aren't moving, stuff like that. So just try and be safe. We're not going to, we're an audio format. So, like, we're not going to be the best people to like. That's why we're telling you, hey, check YouTube. But for jacking on your car, it's the same story. Check YouTube if you're not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, for the oil filter, you know, if it's been on there a while or, you know, if, if uh, the mechanic put it on real tight before, it might be hard to get off, especially if it's covered in oil. Um, they make special wrenches that you can buy for, I don't know, 20 bucks at Harbor Freight. Not that, even, uh, not even. really you helps. Can go, you can go to the parts store down the street from you, uh, the nearest parts store. They'll have them for like less than 20 bucks. Yeah. You know, somewhere in the 10 to $15 range. And if you're really desperate, you can get a big, uh, flathead screwdriver and use a hammer to s- drive it through the side of the filter and, uh, use that as, that as a handle to get it off. But. That's yeah, the that preferred technique point. of everyone that has parked their car on the curb to do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is a last resort. Yeah. Yeah. 
I've recently had to do that on my Ford Ranger because I could not get one of the tools to remove the oil filter into the oil filter spot. It was, uh, there was just no room. So I stuck a screwdriver through it. So, you know, feel no shame if you have to do that. It's it's something we've all had to do in the past. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's got, it has to have been at least three weeks since I did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> That, that I think that covers oil for the most part. Yeah, I'll just run through a few more uh, things here. Uh, unless you have an old Volkswagen, your engine has coolant. Uh, this is you know antifreeze. Uh, if you live in a warm climate where it uh, doesn't freeze, you might just have water in there. Um, but you probably want to get coolant, the, the proper coolant, uh, to prevent corrosion. And the, uh, the cost of coolant for the life of your motor is is less than the cost of Needing antifreeze one time, but only having water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you want to make sure you get that you get the right coolant for your car. Um, so like GM, Toyota, um, Honda, they all have different types of coolant. You know, you might see in the in the parts store, it says universal coolant, use it for anything. That's not necessarily true. Like it'll work, but it might um, corrode differently on the inside of the engine. Yeah, it's not it's not. uh it's not necessarily uh, the best. Yeah, you should you should ask the person at the parts store. You know, hey, what kind of coolant does my car take, and how much does it take? And they can look it up and tell you. Right. Um, which I suppose we should probably mention real quick, just a quick rundown of services that your local auto parts store will offer. Yeah. Because um, yeah, if you're a beginner, this will be important information for you. Uh, most parts stores will change headlights for you and taillight bulbs. They'll at least give it an attempt. If it's too hard, they may have to send you elsewhere. But in most cases, uh, they can just change it right there for you if something is out. Uh, they can also check engine light codes, which we'll get into more uh, either later or in a future episode. But when your check engine light comes on, you can drive to the nearest parts store. They will have a scanner there and they can check it and tell you what it is and likely what will fix it. Um, that's a free service that all parts stores will offer, as far as I'm aware, along with uh, most uh, parts stores will offer battery charging. If you think you have a dead battery, uh, you can take your battery off, bring it to them, and they will charge it for however long it takes, usually an hour or two, and they'll give it back to you if you think that's the problem. They will also oftentimes have a uh, whole battery and electrical system tester, so uh, you can go up there and say, hey, I'm having trouble starting my car. Can you test it out? And they will be able to test the battery and then the alternator and then the starter. And they can test all three attached to your car. And they might be able to tell you, hey, your alternator's bad or your battery's bad, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So those are all free services that parts stores will offer. Um, and I highly recommend you take advantage of them, especially if you are a little new to this. Uh, that is a very good option. Yeah, definitely. And they'll also like change uh, windshield wiper blades for you. That kind oh, of yeah, thing. that too. Yeah. And like we were mentioning, they can look up basically any fluid level for you. Coolant, oil, anything like that. How much and of what specific kind you need. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so the coolant you should change every around 30,000 miles or three years. Your engine air filter. So the filter that the air goes in to get to the engine. Uh, around every 12,000 to 15,000 miles. And, and this is the thing they try to sell you every time you get an oil change. Oh, yeah. you want us to do your air filter too? No. 
Yeah. No, you don't always say no. You don't need to do that. That's changing an air filter is simpler than changing your oil. Yeah. You can do this yourself. It's very cheap and you do not need to do it every time you change your oil. Yeah. On most cars, it's pretty easy. You can look it up. It's different on most cars. So I won't tell you how to do it on yours, but, uh, you know, look it up. It's pretty easy. Usually just undo a few clips and move something out of the way and it's right there. Mm hmm. Um, unless you're like me and you have your uh, engine airbox held together with zip ties, uh, then it's a little <laughs> bit different. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, your spark plugs you want to change every hundred thousand miles. Your timing belt, depending on the car, sixty to a hundred thousand. Some cars have a timing chain that works a little bit differently. Uh, just look it up for your own car. Um, and then uh, wheel bearings, tie rods. Um, other steering and suspension components. I would check them at least every 80,000 miles. Um, some stuff will tell, it'll let you know, it'll squeak, it'll rattle. You're, if you jack up your car and you wiggle the tire around, it'll be loose. Um, you know, wheel bearings, they'll make a weird squealing sound sometimes, um, that kind of thing. There's, there's ways to, to, you know, if it's making this noise, what is it? You know, you can look that up. I don't know. Any, as far as you guys know, is there any like obvious um, noises that people should look out for to tell if something's uh, failing, not just the, the suspension, but other stuff? Uh, squealing. If you yeah. hear a squealing noise, that's almost always a belt. Yeah. Like um, when the engine is running, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. When the engine is running. If you hear a squealing noise when the engine isn't running, check your trunk. <laughs> yeah, you have a pig somehow. I don't know where you got that from. Get it out of there. Um, if it squeals when you go around a corner and turn the steering wheel, that's probably power steering mm -hmm. uh, yep. related. God, can you but, guys just stop reminding me about all the maintenance that I'm behind on? Yeah, I've got, I'm like, you're talking about squealing. I'm like, yeah, when I start my car, when I first start, I have the most outrageous squealing and I've been trying to chase it down. I changed the tensioner pulley. And it turns out it's the tensioner pulley for the AC belt that I didn't change. I was like, damn it. Okay. So it was the other one. So I still have to get around to doing that. But yeah, it's almost always a, a belt. Um, but the reason the belt is squealing is almost always because a pulley is bad. So you'll change a pulley and best to change the belt at the same time. Yeah. Older engines don't use uh, serpentine belts as much. And right now, I just need to tighten my alternator a little bit because uh, my engine squeals for about two seconds right on startup. But because it's a, just a godforsaken design, getting to that is so hard <laughs> that I just let it squeal on start every day. Yeah, that's, yeah. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if you're real desperate, you can buy that like stuff in a can that's supposed to fix the squealing sound, but uh, it's not the greatest uh, solution. Don't. Don't buy that. If you're going to go that route, just use deodorant. Oh, okay. Like while spray the, deodorant? No, stick deodorant. While the belt is spinning, if you <laughs> just push the stick deodorant up against the belt, it does the same thing as the spray can stuff. Oh, Maybe spray deodorant would work, but I know that the stick deodorant does the same exact thing. Good to know. Okay. Um, well, I think we'll wrap up here in a little bit and we'll have more. We'll, we'll cover more of this stuff in a later episode. No, Connor, do you want to go over uh, tire stuff or do we have time for that? Um, yeah, I think this is worth mentioning real quick. We'll just do a quick rundown. Again, we'll go deeper on a lot of this stuff, you know, in future episodes. But um, it's worth knowing for tires. That's a common thing. Every car uses tires. So you should understand a little bit about them. 
there's a few different options. Most of you, if you're driving a regular car, are going to be probably on all-season tires, which are uh, mostly to be, for the you know most part, used all year round uh, in most situations. They have some limitations that I think a lot of people don't necessarily respect. But then there's also summer tires, which are generally, you know, if you live in a southern area or, you know, a generally pretty hot area, you'll probably could just run on summer tires and not have to worry about it. Uh, or if you have a performance car like, you know, like I do, you can run just regular summer tires. And, you know, if you have a car like like me, I you know, I can run summer tires uh, when it's not snowing. But when it's snowing, I have to run winter tires. My car doesn't work if I don't use dedicated winter tires. Not all seasons because they're not fucking good enough. In snow, the best tires are winter tires. They use a softer compound rubber. Uh, they also have a different tread design that is just, it seems like you're like, ah, they're all the same. They're not all the same. Some of those tread patterns are just way better at gripping in snow. Uh, you might not notice it on the average Toyota Camry. Well, actually, you will notice winter tires will break better. They'll go better. Yeah. It's just, it's overall better. But like, I notice it because I go from a car that is not functional on regular tires, even all seasons, to when I put my winters on, I drive through snow like it's no big deal. So it is a big jump up. They are yeah. costly. I, I will, I'm not going to shy away from that. They are expensive. But it is safest to have winter tires. If you have the option and you can buy some, even just, Go on Facebook Marketplace and buy some used OEM factory wheels and have a separate set for winter yeah. tires. If you have that option, it is a good option, especially if you yeah. live in a cold or mountainous climate. If you live in Colorado or something that sees a lot of snow, although you guys don't, I don't, I don't know how you don't have rust issues there. I, I still <laughs> do not understand. But like if you live where, where Brandon or I live, uh, up in the Midwest uh, or in the Northeast. Um, yeah, snow tires are a very good investment. It will help keep you safe. Um, and the difference is pretty big. Yeah, I, I would rather drive a two-wheel drive car with snow tires than an all-wheel drive car with all-season tires in the snow. Yeah, yeah. The I find that drag different. radials work great for all seasons. <laughs> no, no, don't listen to him. <laughs> He's lying. I feel like I might... I feel like I might be the villain on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, that's just like seasonality overall. There's a couple other things I want to go over real quick. Just so you know, especially if you have to buy tires, your wheel is going to have a set number of tire sizes that can fit on it. Uh, and they're going to be determined by th essentially three numbers that we actually care about uh, that are going to be written right on the side of the tire or listed in a listing when if you're looking online or in the store or whatever. Um, so that's going to be the width of the tire, the profile, and the uh, rim size. So the rim size is the easiest. That's the size of the wheel. If your car came with 18-inch wheels, that's an 18. If your car came with 20s, it's a 20. If you went up to 24s, it's a 24. If you have an older vehicle, most likely, uh, you might be down at 15 or 16 inches. Even that's 14s. Yeah, even 14s. I think Bryant is on 14. You, you're both Bryant and Brandon are on 14s. I've got some 14s vehicles. and some 15s. I yeah. 14s are miserable, and I I would like if you can upgrade to 15s or 17, whatever will fit. But 14s are awful to find tires for. Sounds about right. 
Now that's the last of the three numbers. Then the first number in that sequence, so there's always going to be a sequence. It's It always goes width, profile, rim size. So the rim size is the easiest. That you can understand, no problem. The width is always going to be measured in millimeters, okay? So it's going to range from, you know, you might have, uh, if you have like an old Honda Civic, you might have 205. Have I ever mentioned how much I love it when people use metric and imperial measurements? (laughs) Especially in the same string of of numbers. I I love that more than anything, I think. (laughs) Yes, always measured in metric for this measurement. So like a lot of cars may have like, a 205 that's 205 millimeter width and then or you might have wider ones we've got like a corvette those things can be 305 uh millimeter width so they're really really wide right for better grip you know most cars you know nowadays are going to range somewhere between 205 and 265 um or even 275 a lot of suvs have thicker tires so you're going to be probably somewhere in that range that's what that first number means the second number in that sequence is the profile. So this is <laughs> have fun the with dumbest. This, buddy. this is yeah, this is a <laughs> dumb measurement. Okay, so instead of giving you the actual millimeter measurement of how uh, tall the tire is, Jesus Christ! So this is like this is how tall the tire is, starting from like the rim to the outside of the tire. So like you know what I mean? That that like yeah, it's an aspect section ratio. of the radius. Mm-hmm. What was that? It's an aspect ratio, kind of like how they measure televisions. So like a standard uh, TV aspect ratio is like four by three, I think. Um, it's, you know, four times wider than it is. Or Yeah, so you don't yeah. think this is a stupid measurement, so you can go ahead and explain <laughs> this. <laughs> oh. So it's a percentage of the width of the tires. So it's, it's, not like a sta- it's not like a TV measurement in so much as if it a TV was measured like 475 then it would be that would be correct because four by three is a normal aspect ratio but this is saying it's like a you know a tire might be 200 millimeters wide and then a percentage of that tall yeah (laughs) yeah so a 50 here would mean it's 50 percent so it's 50 percent of whatever the width measurement is is how tall that tire is or a lot of SUV tires will have like 60 I've seen, right? So like that means it's 60% of whatever that width is. Um, if you have a performance tire, it may be low profile is what they call these. So like you might have like um, a, a wide tire, but then the ratio there is 35% or even 30%. And it's going to be a much thinner tire. Um, this all matters with you know, how bouncy the tire is essentially, how much impact it absorbs versus how stiff it might be. A smaller sidewell, that smaller number is going to be a stiffer tire. Uh, whereas like an SUV tire will oftentimes have a little bit more weight. And so they try and have taller uh, tires to absorb more impact and stuff and to better manage uh, that for heavier vehicles, right? So that's kind of what that, that measurement is for. So, you know, a lot of times that's all you really need to know. Um, but you're kind of trying to like take that measurement of the width and then imagine how tall it is. So it's kind of weird, but uh, as, basically- as the great poet Tyga said, too much rim, make the ride too hard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's very appropriate here, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's what those numbers mean. And then the only other number you really 
uh, that matters most when when looking at or buying new tires is going to be the treadwear number. Um, a higher treadwear number means it's likely to last longer. It's going to be a harder compound tire, so it's going to last longer. It may not be as grippy, right? So that's kind of the trade-off. A really low number there is going to be really great on a racetrack, but if you're just going to work, maybe not the best tire to choose. I drive on the street on 200 treadwear tires. That's ill-advised. I but I spend a lot of money in tires because I have a drift car. My partner's car, the reliable car in our household, the one that works every single day, uh, her car has tires with a 720 treadwear uh, on them. I don't think she's ever changed them since she's owned the car for the last, God, I don't even know, uh, 20, at least five years or something. She's And they look brand new. I wonder how much it affects fuel efficiency. Because I, I know at least to a degree, because more traction means lower or more means more rolling resistance. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that has there's more that goes into that. Like, the yeah, there's a little bit. We get more advanced into <laughs> how these, you know, um, tread patterns and stuff can affect fuel economy. But for the basic thing, you're going to have a dichotomy between how long it lasts and how well it grips. And you probably want to be somewhere in the middle ish. Right. But especially if you've got like an all wheel drive car, you're going to have a little bit better traction anyway. So you may want to uh, err on the side of higher tread wear um, because you're going to already have better traction from the all wheel drive. Whereas someone like me, I have uh, none of that. I have no traction control, no anything. And I, I want to grip up, right? When I launch a car with fair amount of horsepower, I want to grip up immediately. So I go for the grippier tires that have, that are going to wear out a lot sooner. But those are the main numbers we care about. So you've got your width, your, uh, you know, profile and your rim size and then the tread wear. And so when you're looking at tires, you care about the type, whether it's summer, all season or winter. Uh, and then those four numbers we just went over and that will pretty much get you everything you need to know about a tire for the most part. I, uh, there's a couple things you do want to pay attention to also is, um, you want to check the, the tire pressure mm-hmm. and make sure it's, uh, you know, what the manufacturer of the car uh, specifies, uh, not the tire. Uh, it, it, there might be a number on the tire that's usually the maximum that you want to fill it to. So for most cars, you want to have them around like 30 PSI, uh, maybe higher for a truck or something that's heavy, lighter for something that's uh, very lightweight. And I, I usually check mine, you know, like every couple of weeks or so um, you don't have to do them maybe that often. Um, but it's, it's not a bad idea, especially like if the weather changes, the barometric pressure, the temperature that can change the pressure in the tire. And another uh, number you want to look at is the uh, date code. If you don't know how old your tires are, there's a four digit number on there. Uh, the first two digits are the week that it was made. How many weeks into the year? And then this, the last two digits are the year that it was made. So if you look at your tires now and you see the last two digits are more than six years old, so it would be 2017, I guess, or uh, if you're listening to this in 2023, uh, those tires are probably getting a little bit old and they might start to dry rot soon and um, they might crack, they might fall apart. Uh, you might have, they might be... Um, too hard and not giving enough traction, uh, which I believe is one of the factors that ended up uh, 
killing Paul Walker is he was driving on tires that were like 10 years old and uh, did not have enough traction. So, uh, I, yeah, I would look into replacing your tires if they're more than six years old, especially if you park outside in the sun and the heat and the rain and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, did we have anything else on tires or should we uh, wrap it up for now? We've been I going think on for a, a while. Place to, I think it's a good place to wrap it up for now. Yeah. Yeah. Connor, why, why don't you uh, tell us uh, about our social media and uh, where people can follow us? Yeah. Uh, if you, of course, like what you hear, feel free to give us a rating in your podcast app or leave us a nice little review. Uh, it helps people find the podcast. Uh, the other thing to do is to find us on social media. Uh, pretty much, um, well, we're, we're really only active on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and uh, we're on Hexbear. And we exist on Facebook. We're not necessarily active, but you could just type in and search uh, cars and comrades and you should find us everywhere. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's how you find us. And, uh, you know, if you like communism, hate capitalism, and you like cars or even if you don't like cars that much, uh, come follow us. We, we share memes and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. And um, we'll also post the social media info for uh, Redneck Zach. And uh, if you want to learn more about him and the work that he does with the Automotive Free Clinic, you can listen to the previous episode. Um, we go into that in more detail. Anything else or should we uh, wrap it up here, guys? I think it's a good place to wrap it up. Um, okay. I think in the future we'll probably talk about um, some other getting more in depth in some of these um, systems of the car. We'll probably go over different car parts and you know why what, you, what they do uh, as well as I'm sure maybe like a used car buying guide or something uh things to look out for when you're buying a car or whatever so um you know keep your eyes open uh we will probably have more in the series uh, on topics like that uh in the future maybe i'll do a uh, so you want to buy a classic sort of episode oh yeah Ooh, that'd be good cool. that is where i shine <laughs> all right well uh we'll talk to you later and uh have a good one right. yeah, thanks bye for everybody bye bye, bye. We gon' make you fight fire with fire, bitch. We make you fight fire with water, bitch. We gon' fight racism, not racism, but we gon' fight the solidarity. We said we're not gon' fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we gon' fight the socialism. Amazingly, or not so amazingly, Cuba's crime rate is one of the lowest in the entire hemispheres. Oddly enough, it seems that when people have their basic human needs met, they're less likely to commit crimes. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. The free market mythology, it argues that the most ruthless, selfish, opportunistic, greedy, calculating plunderers, applying the most heartless measures in cold-blooded pursuit of corporate interest and wealth accumulation, will produce the best results for all of us through something called the invisible hand. <laughs> what are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you.